For more Red FM podcasts, go to redfm.ie forward slash podcasts. Now, the Neil Prenderville Show, Red FM. Hello, very good morning from the Neil Prenderville Show. This is Mick Mulcahy. Neil returns next Monday morning. Uh, let's have a quick look at the front pages of all of the morning dailies. The Mirror has Matt saying, I was a proper Charlie. A picture of Taoiseach Lear Varadkar, his partner, and uh, the incoming King Charles made uh, uh, the front page of the Mirror today. Taoiseach Lear Varadkar's partner has said sorry for the Instagram jokes he made during the King Charles coronation. Matt Barrett said it was poor judgment to send the posts while attending the coronation at Westminster Abbey. He's a cardiologist and he uh, unreservedly apologised for any offence caused by his actions. So Taoiseach's partner says sorry for Instagram jokes. Not enough guardy on the streets to combat attacks is the main headline on the Daily Mail today. And that picture of Leo Varadkar, his partner Matt, and uh, it was before the coronation, so incoming King Charles makes the front page there as well. But there's not enough guardy on the streets to combat violent attacks on refugees, Leo Varadkar said yesterday. I wonder who'd have the power to change that, Leo. Rents far too high, says the uh, Echo today. Uh, also uh, telling us that Cork City sees uh, its first fall in 10 years. Rents in Cork City still far too high, despite falling for the first time in nearly 10 years, local politicians have said. Amy Nolan uh, reporting that the latest DAF.ie rental price report um, for 21-22 showed that rents in Cork City fell on the first quarter. Sorry, a bigger pardon. Uh, for, it's Q1 2023 uh, is the specifics here. Uh, rents fell in that first quarter for the first time since the last quarter of 2013. So it's been an upward, um, it's been an upward trajectory really and until this slight correction, but still way too high. People are contending. The average rent for properties in the city now standing at €1,731 per month. Uh, While this represents a 7% increase year on year, it marks a decrease of just over 2% on the final quarter of last year. Uh, Also on the front page of the Echo, diagnosed with cancer while pregnant, Chris Dunn reporting that a Cork mother has spoken out about her breast cancer diagnosis while she was pregnant ahead of a major fundraiser. More details uh, front page of today's Echo. On to the examiner, whose main headline is No Plan to Cope with Violent Marches. Gardaí lack the personnel and training necessary, says a source. Security correspondent Cormac O'Keefe reporting that frontline Gardaí say uh, they're being told to go out and do your best when dealing with far-right groups engaged in uh, anti-immigration protests. The Garda Representative Association, or GRA, said there was a lack of confidence among members in responding to the type of scenes that marred Dublin at the weekend. Nowhere to go uh, is a picture you might at first glance think that uh, it's a picture from a beach and a happy one. It is far from a beach and it's far from happy. A Palestinian man with his daughter sits amidst the rubble of his house in Gaza City yesterday following a ceasefire ending five days of deadly fighting uh, between the uh, Israelis and the Palestinian Islamic Jihad militant group. That's the front page of the Examiner today Um, and we have on the Indo drinks giants fight Irish plan to put cancer labels on bottles. European wine, beer and spirits makers are stepping up their actions to try to block Ireland's plan for labels on alcohol packaging linking drinks to cancer. They claim the proposals will damage the EU single market. 
More details front page of the Indo today. And uh, heading over, is that Ed Sheeran? No, it isn't. Um, the Beast of Bolting Glass. Larry's Twisted Trophies. Uh, and uh, mobster uh, rapist Larry Murphy kept a secret stash of mementos from the woman he attacked. A close female pal uh, told cops that the uh, hated psycho of 57 years of age uh, would have stored hidden trophies. Um, and uh, that's an obvious, but uh, in an obvious but clever place. Uh, Murphy, dubbed the Beast of Bolting Glass, uh, served 10 years for raping a woman in 2000. Those are the front pages. Uh, dipping inside uh, the newspapers today, woman dies after being struck by a lorry is the sad story by Sean O'Reardon and Amasha Costa. In the Examiner today, a pedestrian in her 70s died in a collision involving a lorry in County Cork yesterday afternoon. The incident occurred on Main Street in Charleville and was the second fatal crash to occur there in the last month. Staying with the Examiner, Wilton shooting victim set to leave hospital. The victim of a shooting in Cork City last Friday is expected to be released from hospital in the coming days uh, as the hunt continues for the gunman. Gardaí say they are following a number of lines of inquiry but have not yet identified a motive for the attack in the city suburb of Wilton at around 5am last Friday. No arrests have yet been made in the case. Uh, too few Gardaí to keep the streets safe. Uh, this is the Irish Daily Star and going into more detail of that front page headline. Leo shock at asylum seeker campfire. Um, I don't think it's a campfire in that uh, in the nostalgic sense, but uh, what happened was uh, arson, I suppose. Uh, Taoiseach Leo Varadkar has said he doesn't believe there are enough Gardaí on the streets to uh, streets of Dublin to deal with protests aimed at asylum seekers. He made the comments after a, a makeshift campsite at Sandwith Street in the city centre was set alight on Friday evening. The sleeping bags, beds and belongings of international protection seekers who have been unable to secure accommodation uh, were badly damaged during the blaze. Speaking in Limerick yesterday afternoon, the Taoiseach said he was shocked and horrified by the scenes. He said, whatever people's views are about immigration or asylum seekers or anything like that, uh, these are human beings and no human being should be treated uh, in the way these people were treated with those protests and the fires the other night, I condemn it unreservedly. But also, of course, and uh, raising a few hackles, saying, uh, no, uh, the reason is we've too few Gardaí to keep the streets safe. Um, so we'll discuss that a little later on in the programme. Uh, inside some of the other papers, uh, cops out for 75,000 days due to injury. One of the reasons there's not enough Gardaí on the street, I suppose. Manpower hours lost after officers hurt in the line of duty. Gardaí missed more than 75,000 days of duty last year after they were injured in the line of duty, figures have revealed. There were 20,807 days of absence caused by a malicious injury, uh, with further days lost where a Garda was attacked off duty. Uh, more than 40,000 days were lost to an accidental injury that happened uh, during work, while 6,822 days were taken following a traffic accident while working. Uh, figures have been released under the Freedom of Information Act and show more than 235,000 days were lost uh, to illness last year, uh, the equivalent of 645 officers off sick on any given day. Irish Daily Mail inside has Doyle members were afraid to question new hate speech law. Ashling Maloney, their political uh, correspondent, reporting that hate speech legislation passed through the Doyle with majority support because people were afraid of being seen to question a woke agenda. 
Senator and former Attorney General Michael McDowell has said. It follows comments from Nuala O'Lone, the uh, former police ombudsman for Northern Ireland, who warned the loose language in the bill could cause immense damage to free speech and democracy. Missing US man was dehydrated. A uh, picture of the Rescue 115 helicopter at the scene, but an American man was found suffering from exposure and dehydration after he was reported missing in West Cork over the weekend. Castletown Bear Coast Guard was alerted to the disappearance of the young American man over the weekend after the alarm was raised when he did not return home from work. Petrol and diesel prices now at levels last seen 20 months ago. Some good news, I suppose. In the Indo, Charlie Weston reporting that drivers are benefiting from a fall in petrol and diesel prices to levels not seen since well before the Russian invasion of Ukraine. Prices are now back to where they were in September 2021, but motorists have been warned by AA Ireland that the average cost of a litre of petrol is set to jump by 6% next month as the government implements a phased restoration of the full excise duty on the fuel. Diesel is to go up by 5 cent per litre on June 1st. The average petrol price across the state is €1.57. That's per litre, of course, AA Ireland said after a query from the Irish Independent. This is 1.2% cheaper than last month and the lowest since September 2021. Three quarters of the publicans outside Dublin say turnover is similar or greater uh, than pre-COVID. Hope is being registered for many publicans across Cork City and County as new findings suggest promising growth in the industry. Check it out by uh, Sarah Horgan in the Echo. Staying in the Echo, contemptuous attitude is a Liam Halen headline. A motorist showed a contemptuous attitude by dra- uh, to driving bans by committing multiple further counts of endangerment and d- dangerous driving. Chat GPT says the Indo was used by two state departments, uh, but later abandoned. Two government departments have confirmed they've used artificial intelligence AI service Chat GPT. They were the Department of Agriculture and the Department of Transport. And they said they used ChatGPT for a short period to see if it would help with any tasks. And finishing up uh, with a superstar uh, in the guise of Tom Hanks. AI is so advanced, said Mr. Hanks, I can star in films after I'm dead. Tom Hanks has suggested he could appear in new films long after his death as artificial intelligence or AI continues to advance. The double Oscar-winning actor said Hollywood stars and their lawyers are scrambling to try to deal with the rise of the technology where performers could be digitally recreated until kingdom come. Hank said they are trying to figure out the legal ramifications of digitally recreating actors and that under current laws, he could star in films forever. An interesting concept, isn't it? Hank suggested his film career could continue indefinitely despite the prospect of being hit by a bus at any moment. I wonder who got the money. Would it be his estate, his family or whatever? Uh, would he have to be paid at all, his estate? There are discussions going on in all of the guilds, all of the agencies and all of the legal firms in order to come up with the legal ramifications of my face and my voice and everybody else's, for that matter, uh, being our intellectual property. Well, if you don't own your face and your voice, who does? Uh, what is a bona fide possibility right now? If I wanted to, I could get together and pitch a series of seven movies that would star me in them, in which I would be 32 years old from now until Kingdom Come. Anybody can now recreate themselves at any age by way of AI or deep fake technology. Seems to be where the world is going. Winner of two golds at the Imro Radio Awards 2022. The Neil Prendeville Show on Cork's Red FM.
Uh, 22 minutes past nine, straight to our phone lines and to a topic we covered in the uh, paper review. Brendan O'Connor uh, is the president of the GRA, the Garda Representative Association. Good morning, Brendan. Good morning, Mick. Now, you say there's a lack of confidence among members in responding to the type of scenes uh, that we saw in Dublin at the weekend. The Taoiseach on the other side is saying, oh, it's because we don't have enough Gardaí. On the other hand, 75,000 days lost through illness or accidents, malicious or otherwise. Uh, it's really pressure time for the Gardaí, isn't it? Yeah, it is pressure time, absolutely, Mick. And, I mean, we've been highlighting for a long time the, de- the declining numbers of personnel available for duty, the lack of training... And um, so this is just another example of a situation that has arisen at the policing need, which do arise. We were supposed to have a capacity of the unforeseen. But unfortunately, when you have a police force or a police service who is, which is so depleted and so struggling and members on the front line are so overburdened, it, it takes very little to push us over the edge and, and to test that. So we believe that this is just um, just an example where we're asking the fewer people that are there, fewer people to do, deal, to do more and to deal with ever changing ever more complicated and uh, ever evolving challenges so um, we want to see a comprehensive plan put forward for management that um, manages the response and, and ensures our members are familiar with their roles, are properly trained and, and are in a position to carry out these duties with no risk to themselves because the last thing we need is more injured guardian, and more absenteeism contributing to the problems that you've alluded to there as a result of the um, ongoing absences due to illnesses and injuries on duty. Yeah and we have incidents like the, uh, the shooting in Wiltoner uh, that happened last Friday. Uh, the altercation in Cove, which we might deal with between now and the end of the programme as well. Guardy looking into that. But all of these things chip away at public confidence. Uh, and when you don't have enough staff to go out and uh, maintain the peace, which is what Garda Shiakana actually means, the guardians of the peace, uh, is it not reflective, though, of our society as a whole? They're, they're saying we don't have enough naval personnel to man the ships. Uh, we certainly don't have enough houses to house those who need to be housed. We certainly don't have enough healthcare staff on the front line to manage the surging demand. Is 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 it just representative of this country at the moment? Well, I don't know if it's representative of this country because we're very much focused on our own um, agenda and our own issue. But we, what we would say is what what we don't what we struggle to is there are. 14,000 Gardaí, and we believe they could be deployed more effectively, but the management systems and the structures that are in place are keeping them off the streets. The oversight mechanisms that are in place and the levels of scrutiny that are put on our members are disincentivizing them, and they don't feel empowered or they don't feel supported. So the Gardaí who go out there are almost, I won't say they're afraid, but there's a culture of fear in the organization that if you make a mistake, the consequences are so dire. So there's no, there's no, there's no support, and there's a disincentive to go out there to be proactive and engage. And that's reflecting, I think, in the lack of robustness that people are commenting upon in in the policing response, as well as the availability. The cars to go out there are, I mean, you know, we're not talking about specific incidents, but there's a very high profile incident where we see a prosecution there. Guards end up in court, and we've had that before. We had it in Cork. Those guards who used the pepper spray were subjected to a criminal trial for going out there and doing the job. So all these things are just chipping away at morale where Gara management don't even acknowledge that there's a problem with morale. They say that everything is okay. We have falling uh, recruitment numbers. There's, a, there's an intake starting in Temple Mortis in the, in the coming weeks. It won't be meet its quota of the positions that were allocated. The intake in January had just over 100, I understand. So recruitment targets are not being met. People are resigning in large numbers and the guards who are out there feel um, under siege. Okay, and I suppose the nostalgic days where a job in the bank uh, or a job in the guards would be seen as, uh, you know, one member of a big family would be pushed one way or the other there anyway. Uh, and, and it was seen as safe. Uh, it was seen as, to an extent, sociable. 
and uh, you know to an extent you're taking responsibility for society and it, it developed a lot of shall we say better guards than we may be able to see today because of the way society exists you know guards that might give a young full of chance guards that might lecture rather than than fine uh, guards that had uh, you know a social conscience uh, as regards the little community that they were looking after but now I, I guess a guard can be pulled from from one area to another in an emergency doesn't know if he's breaching or she's breaching GDPR laws uh, must be aware of the the woke nature of society right now uh, and as you say with any use of force or chemicals or pepper spray uh, could could be looking at a court date themselves it must be a very very thin line to thread for most guardy it's a very thin line and another factor Mick is that you alluded to there guards always use their common sense to, 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 to police and show their discretion and proportionality and they found that equilibrium and it's balanced well between the needs of society and the needs of police but now we have a situation where the narrative coming from and it's hard to say from within our own organisation is about corruption and, and wrongdoing and if a guard in a rural town gives someone a break decides it's more appropriate that this person would receive a caution and a word of advice now the emphasis is why did that guard not institute a prosecution? Why did not an issue a ticket? Is there an inappropriate relationship here? You know, and it's just common sense that's going out the window. Over-regulation, attitudes from police services where there is endemic problems with corruption are being uh, superimposed on our people. And all the talk is about wrongdoing, wrong ones, criminality, and really guards aren't, that's, that's not the experience. Okay, there's been isolated incidents through the history of the state, but on the whole, guards are of the community, with the community, and in the community. And what are we doing? We're making guards afraid to show that discretion because they'll either be prosecuted or disciplined or investigated. We're closing down contact with communities. Guards and state are not even allowed to speak to people on the phone anymore. They've patched them through to regional control rooms. And we're moving to a policing model that there will be management structures and, and there will be no local superintendent. So I think people really need to look at the bigger picture of what's going on here. Our police service is being dismantled, replaced by something that uh, the people of Ireland don't recognise, the people in the organisation don't think they have much confidence in work, but no one is willing to stand up and say, let's, let's, just, let's just have a look at here what, where, where we're going. And like, these, these protests show that you know, situations arise. We need our guards to be adaptive. We need them to use common sense and we need them to have the confidence to go out and do what they're expected to do and make decisions and be backed by their own uh, authorities. But that's just simply not the case. Mm-hmm. OK, to be fair, Brendan O'Connor, president of the GRA, it's not the greatest recruitment advert uh, for a young man or young woman wanting to join the guards. Uh, it's, it's, it's not that bad, of course. Now, the, the Taoiseach and the powers that be will say we're going to throw more numbers at it. It's one of the great election mantras. Uh, we realise there's not enough guards. When he says it in the middle of... You know, something like, like what happened in Dublin. Oh, it's re- the reason is we don't have enough guards. Sometimes you have to ask yourself, well, you're, you're the guy who can, uh, who, who can fix that. Um, so on a more positive side, uh, getting the problems fixed is, is part of your remit, I suppose, and negotiating with those who can. Um, is it still a good job for a young boy or girl to aspire to? Well, look, it, the one thing about the guards is that it, it's interesting if, if you, you get to, it's such a variety. No two days are the same. You can make a difference to someone's life whenever you, you take some either solve a crime or do some small act of kindness. It can be immensely rewarding, but it can be challenging and it can be frustrating. And I suppose the difference was it used to be that it was that you alluded to a job for life that was a, re- a reasonably a reasonable uh, standard of living and a good pension. But the good pension is gone, so people are, are walking out the door because of that. So um, 
look, it's still, I enjoy my job and my role as a police officer uh, and, and as a community guard. It, it can be rewarding, but it's getting more and more difficult. And I would say the problems that, that, the problems that are making it less attractive, they really are generated from within, from bureaucracy. It's not, dealing with the public is not getting more difficult. It's how the organisation is managed and the bureaucracy and the systems and the refusal. But as you say, we have always said, GRA have the solutions. We can tell people what's wrong. But unfortunately, in Ireland, we have the policing authority, we have the guard inspector, we have all these bodies stuffed with academics and people talking, having abstract conversations, and no one listens to the voice of the people on the ground, the guards on the beat, whether in Cork City or in rural rural villages in West Cork. They're the people that know what's wrong. But we, we, we feel we're not listening to but certainly we're willing to go into any form and point out the simple things they could change that'll make things a lot better and we would be able to champion the cause and say that that has been fixed. But we have to be honest and represent the members who pay the subscription to us every week and tell them the reality of the front line is that our members are at breaking point and it isn't an attractive proposition at the minute. The organisation is in a state of flux. Nobody really knows where we're going or what, what, what the benefits will be and that has to be a fundamental principle and pillar that underpins any change in any organisation to get buy-in and I would say our members don't have buy-in to this have, have, have the financial increments kept pace with inflation? Is is there still um, an attractive salary, or do you need to do the overtime to to get well paid? No, look, uh, we would always say the pay should be improved. But judging from our exit interviews, pay isn't the big factor that's pushing people out the door. The guard, the old adage was, "You'll never be rich, but you'll never be poor." So, um, but certainly, I mean, if if. It, 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 it's also market forces applied. I mean, there's a very competitive jobs environment out there, our jobs market, and people are exploring better options. Yeah, okay. Uh, just, a, just a couple of texts and comments from the listening public. Uh, why do the Gardaí have to sit around in a courtroom all day? Why are they not allowed to video chat with a judge if needed? Uh, and why are career criminals with hundreds of previous charges not just locked up for longer? Suspended, sentence, uh, suspended sentences abound, and they're a bit of a joke, says Desi. Would you comment on that? Uh, well, sentences are for the judiciary. We don't comment on them, but we would certainly say the criminal justice system doesn't act as an effective deterrent. Guards in courts, uh, because of lack of technology, yeah, every other. Look, the guards are 30 years behind every other policing service with our technology, and uh, but a lot of those work practices are to do with the courts and how they're managed, so we don't really have any input into that. And uh, what was the, in the middle comment was? Um, criminals with hundreds of previous charges not just locked up, locked up for longer suspended sentences etc ok I think you've answered yeah. that anyway uh, another texture uh, Brendan says uh, didn't Morris McCabe not show that we need to keep an eye on the guardie surely members would welcome having an oversight body to protect them in situations as well when they're falsely cru- accused of wrongdoing absolutely I mean we have always embraced oversight it was also called for the independent oversight that GSAC has but what has happened is the pendulum has swung so far that there's actually a lack of common sense, that it's not, of course, wrongdoing has a real rate, and our members have no tolerance for any wrongdoing, most of the rights, but this, the, the, the culture of fear of making a mistake, and in the guards, it's, it's not punishing people for wrongdoing, it's punishing people for making mistakes. So you take people in, you don't train them properly, you send them out and assign them tasks that they're not qualified to do, don't have the skill set, and then instead of, instead of the organisation acknowledging there's a problem here, we, we hold the individual to account Okay, uh, and as with the defence forces, I guess Brendan O'Connor, as president of the GRA, you, you'll know uh, that there's a certain amount of muffling that's expected of your rank and file guardie that they can't c- come on the media as 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 you are right now as their representative and 
and individually voice concerns or make complaints. So with, with the platform now afforded to you, um, what, what would you, as the president of the GRA, behove the government to do uh, to, to fix things up, get your numbers up, boost morale, I think, would be a big, big factor, wouldn't it? Yes, absolutely. I would ask them to sit down and engage. And, you know, the joy of Ireland is that it is a small country and most politicians have family in the guards and it's the biggest open secret. Everyone knows that the guards is in crisis and is at breaking point. So listen to the representative bodies, talk to us and give us a, give us some meaningful engagement because unfortunately another thing we have seen in recent years is that the levels of engaging with us have been uh, reduced and we don't believe that we have access to that we're listened to by the powers that be. It's almost like the Emperor's new clothes story that this narrative that everything is okay, we're on this transformation and modernization agenda, it's going to deliver better policing for the public. Everybody, everybody can see whether you're a trader in the city centre of Cork or a citizen of a rural community that never sees a guard. Whatever is going on, the policing model that's being pursued is not delivering visibility and it's not making the guards more effective. The introduction of policies and, and, and strategies and documents that, that don't really fit, that are cut and pasted from other police services, is turning the guards into something that nobody ever envisaged and nobody relates to. Do you think the guards these days get the respect they used to get in days of yore from the, the public in general? Uh, well, I think there is a difference in culture and there is a, an international move towards challenging the authority of the police. And it's, that's, I suppose that it's healthy to be accountable. It's healthy for the question, but I think. It's as I say, the pendulum has swung a bit too far, and there probably is a lack of respect. And social media seems to encourage some very, a very small element of, of of society to be very challenging, very confrontational, and try to you know cause conflict and then uh, misrepresent it. So it's, it's look, it's a difficult, it's a difficult environment out there, and uh, our members do find it challenging. But we, and I'm painting a very nice picture, but we don't lose sight of the public support for us is overwhelming. We saw it during COVID. We saw it last week whenever that announcement came about that guard being prosecuted. The overwhelming support from outside the organisation, from the public. The public cherish the police service in this country. They're very happy with it on the whole and they want it to be better. So I think it's, we need to stop this looking out, looking elsewhere. Yes, look elsewhere for best practice, but we're throwing the baby out with the bathwater. We didn't get everything wrong. We're a good police service. We're part of the community. We know how to take the temperature of, of the community and what they need and how to balance that. And you can over-regulate and stifle that bit of individualism and that flair that guards always took to their jobs that's been driven out of it by pursuing policies from outside forces. OK, and finally, um, when, when Antishuk says uh, and admits we don't have enough guards to handle things that, like what happened in Dublin, number one, it's, a, it's almost a tacit admission to the fact that your numbers aren't enough. It's almost a tacit admission uh, to the fact that you're not, um, you know, mentally or guidance-wise prepared to go into situations such like that. It's almost a tacit admission that you're stretched, trying to do everything that's put in front of you. Uh, is, is the solution to throw more numbers and more money at it? Well, in fairness to the government, they have thrown the money. The, the, the vacancies are there, the recruitment positions are there, but they can't fill them because it's not attractive. So it's time to start looking at uh, the working life off guards and how it's impacting on their welfare and, and the attractiveness and their job satisfaction and have a very positive message and have guards telling family members, telling friends, yeah, it's a great job, I love it, come and join. But they're not telling it because they're telling the truth because their experience is quite negative. And once there's a denial, I mean... Guard and management are saying that morale, there's not a problem with morale. It's, 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 it's boring on farcical, you know. 
Okay. Uh, would you mind if I doorstepped you a little uh, and just brought in one listener? We've got Michael holding, and I appreciate his holding a while. But Anthony wanted to ask a question uh, in particular of you because he interviewed for the guards. Uh, Anthony, good morning. Hi, good morning. How are you? You, know, you went through the test. You passed every element bar one. What was that? That's, yeah, so I found out yesterday, basically, that I didn't make it, um, which was quite upsetting because... You know, it was for me. It was it was something I always wanted to do. It was a dream job for me. Um, so, yeah, it's, I suppose it just it gets a bit frustrating when you hear. Like I understand, you know, everybody has to interview for a job, and not everyone to make it. I get that, but it's frustrating when you hear that there there's not enough numbers, and then you say things like, you know, that people aren't encouraging people to to go to the guards because I was very encouraged, and you know, I just missed out by five points of of a. Uh, of a particular stage, you know. Um, so, yeah, I just wanted to kind of hear what you kind of had to say basically based on that. You know, you have a fairly young fella here, like I'm, I'm 31, um, you know, and wanted to join the guards pretty much all my life. This was my first time going for it because I didn't feel like I was ready before, I didn't feel like I had the skills or the training I needed, uh, whereas now I felt very prepared, felt like it was my time, um, went for the interview, thought it went very well. And, uh, you know, just just didn't get, didn't get the role. And, you know, then you're saying, you know, that there's not enough numbers, there's people not being encouraged to go for it. And I just, I feel like that's very kind of unfair. Hard to comment on a specific one, uh, Brendan, but could you give any general advice? Well, I just, uh, it's great to hear someone like Anthony with that enthusiasm and that, that zeal for policing. And that's exactly the sort of person. Look, it's unfortunate that he, 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 he didn't meet whatever, just missed that bar. But I think what he should do is focus on the, get his feedback on that particular competency and work on it and his presentation of that competency or even develop that competency or maybe look at aspects where when he can, and he will get the opportunity to apply again and he can come back as, as an, and have an improved performance at his interview. But certainly don't give up. I mean, people have to go sometimes a second or third time. And, but we have the standover recruitment and selection process and that exists. So, I mean, not everyone was going to pass, but don't lose heart, focus. Work on the work on improving himself for the next competition, which won't be far away. And certainly, I'm sure he give it a, give it a good rattle the next time. Does it count for anything though in in, in the process that uh, Joe or Mary wanted to be a guard all their lives? Th- thanks, Anthony. I, I hope that answered your question. Does it count well, for I, anything? Look, I, I don't know what the, what the the scoring criteria is in the interview process, but certainly people who come with enthusiasm and, and, and an interest is, is going to, I would imagine, give a good impression on an interview board. But there is very um, strict competency assessments that they carry out and score people. So I, I can't comment on where, I, I don't know what weight that sure. carries, but certainly it, it, if I was an interview board, it's something you'd like to see. Okay. Uh, finally, a text from a Garda wife, uh, wife of a Garda. Anthony, my husband, tried twice before he got in, if you really want it keep trying. Brendan O'Connor, President of the Garda Representative Association, uh, thank you for the detail you've given us this morning and uh, we wish every guard on duty today a safe day. Thank you very much. Okay. Thank you. Mate. Cheers. This is the Neil Prenderville Show. Text and WhatsApp 086 8104 106 Cork's Red FM. Coming up on a quarter to ten, Michael, thank you for your patience and for holding on so long. Good morning That's to okay, you. Mate. That's okay, yeah. yeah now, you, 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 you want to talk about uh, and compare the Garda to the Defence Forces? No doubt, yeah. The problems that we saw on television there last evening and the previous day from the far-right violent attacks on immigrants camping in the streets of Dublin because they had no accommodation um, was absolutely appalling. We saw massive 
pictures of the tragedy of the Ukraine war and what people are going through. Now, this is shocking for a country like this, that the far right, imitating what the Russians are doing in in, in the Ukraine, are allowed to get away with this. The Guardian, obviously, as Brendan O'Connor there said, are stretched to the limit. Mick, we have an army who goes to, around the world, whereas to the Golden Heights, to the Lebanon, to the Congo, and many other places to maintain peace. And it's absolutely incredible for us to accept the fact that our army, our army, who are a brilliant group of people, are not appreciated to go and protect the people of Ireland. And of course, these situations that have arisen in Dublin and could happen in any part of the country, let's be honest about it. Like we had a terrible tragedy there, on Helia highlights on the paper there yesterday morning, of this girl, Catherine McCarthy, who was brutally uh, damaged by a, a madman in West Cork with, when, when she, uh, he wouldn't stop his fan for her and she was knocked down and injured very, very badly. We must give the army the opportunity to back the Gardaí. They're trained people, they're disciplined people, they have respect and love of the country in their hand and love of people. It's like the way look at this. You take games on television with a soccer or rugby. Subs are brought in to reinforce the team, to invigorate the team, to bring success. We must, for the, for the cause of peace, do something extra because, as Brendan O'Connor there said, they haven't got sufficient army men or sufficient guardie, but we have plenty of great army men who could do a fantastic job for the country. And I think it's about time now the leaders of the country come out and say, yes, lads, you don't have to go to the Golden Heights to protect people alone. You're going to protect them on the streets of Ireland. Because you take there now, for instance, quite recently, the great President Jasinski addressed joint sessions of the Oireachtas in the Dáil, right? And you had a group of so-called politicians who insulted that man and the, and the people of the country by not turning up. You had the way another group insulted the, the, the fantastic trip that Joe Biden made because he was American. When you think of the thousands upon thousands of jobs that are in Ireland, that American companies have set up, like in there now, yes, there's another massive extension and a couple of hundred more jobs coming on stream. You've got people like that, you see, who have hold the goddamn hell. They have the nerve, the battle, or the insult to hit people who are doing good work for the country. And instead of bringing it forward, they want to go into the mire. And what are we going to do? And it's like, end up like what Russia has done to Ukraine. Okay. So I, my I was, um, point I Get the army in, get the army in to back the Gardaí and we see how successful it will be and we all say, why didn't we do it before? Okay, I was taken taken to task yesterday, as I often am. If if you allow anti-right rhetoric uh, to come on the air unchallenged, uh, to provide a bit of balance. So let let me try and provide a bit of balance here. Um, I heard Roderick O'Gorman on national radio yesterday saying this this time 12 months ago, we had 8,500 uh, people, refugees and asylum seekers seeking the protection of this state. Now we have 84,000. Um, and in, in that sense, is it any wonder that some elements of our society will go and protest? I don't condone what happened for a moment. But, uh, you know, the right to pre- peaceful protest at least exists. And, you know, isn't it only fair to assume that with a 1,000% increase 
in those seeking assistance uh, with a, a massive swept under the carpet uh, personal Irish homelessness um, trauma that's going on for people, especially children, uh, that people will be fraught and that people will come and protest. Now, once again, not condoning any of the uh, the arson or the attacks that happened in Dublin, um, but some people are stretched by this issue and want to protest. Yeah, but as you said, peaceful protest is a way forward. These people use extreme violence to further their cause. Okay. So what are we going to do? Come back to civil war again? Now I know. I know. And, and we, the other we, thing is, the other thing is, like, like in fairness, God Almighty, tonight we're a small country, as I just mentioned there earlier on by the by the Garda commissioner. But how in the name of God Almighty we can take in so many immigrants? I know it is brutal on the people that they're bombed, they're killed, they're murdered, and they've got to run from their families to get out of the place. But we can, you can only put so many apples in a barrel. You can only put so many eggs in a container. That's my point. Yeah, I know. I know there was a wasn't there a tweet went out. I'm not sure if it was Roderick or Gorman to say, uh, you know, come to Ireland with welcomes, we'll house you. Uh, now, now it seems to have gone uh, to excess, and that we're bursting at the seams. Now, I know on your point that we did deploy the defence forces in the protection of the Pope. Remember that? I'm not sure how well that went Lord down John, yeah, yeah, with the rank and file, uh, but it was used. What you're suggesting, and I don't know how we would stand legally or operationally on it. Is, is to supplement the Gardaí with some of the members of the Defence Forces uh, and even in a specific area like protecting those seeking refuge here? Well, it's just up to the dog to realise it's vitally important that the Gardaí are protected, the Gardaí get support and just pass the bill if there's any obstacles to eliminate the obstacles and give us peace and tranquility in this beautiful country for us. Okay. Thanks, Mick. Okay, thanks a million. Um, we've got gonna... Okay, I've got John O'Donovan holding. Come back to him in a second. Thanks. Talk to Neil Prenderville now. 0818-104-106. Cork's Red FM. Coming up on six minutes to ten, John O'Donovan wants to take issue with some of the points Michael made. John? Morning, how are you? Good, and you? Well, I'm absolutely flabbergasted, outraged, um can't believe I've just what I've just heard with a caller coming on and he's uh, advocating that the army, you know, take on what he perceives to be the far right. I'm sick and tired of listening to this term far right. The majority of people out there are just concerned citizens. This country is being overrun at the moment. There's nobody shouting stop. It's like putting the, the stopper into this thing, turning on the tap and just watching the water flow all over the kitchen, flooding your whole house and said to turn off the tap and you'll be okay. The tap here that needs to be turned off is this country has reached its limit, right? We have no more room. Our own people are crucified with rinse and can't get housing. The health sector has gone through the roof to waiting this again. This person wants to bring the army on the street to take on the sovereign Irish Republicans, which we all are, the citizens of this country, the sovereign citizens. He wants to pitch the army against us now. Is this the best he can come up with, like? I mean, for crying out loud, like, I mean, this is not some military junta. This is not some third world country, you know, where some general decide, I'm going to host a democratically elected leader of the country, and I'm going to install the army, and we'll have a military junta. This is an absolute despicable comment to even Cordia to talk about putting the army out on the streets against the sovereign Irish people. I mean, talk about a recipe for a perfect storm if you think there's going to be trouble in the streets at the moment and what's happening. Christ, you'll see what will happen then. 
Okay, I, I think to be, or to try to be at least, a little more understanding of both sides, um, the GRA representative, Brendan O'Connor, said that Gardaí are unsure how to handle militant situations and physical uh, violent situations as happened in Dublin. And Michael was making the suggestion that uh, the strength of the army and their visible presence could be maybe a deterrent to that. I, I don't, well, think you, don't think he's pitting the Irish army against the Irish Republic or its people. Well, if you the very thought that the suggestion he made, like you mean to maybe bring, consider bringing the army out to back up the Gardaí, that means you're putting the army on the street. Not only does that pitch the Irish army against the civilian population, it sends a signal right around the world that the army you know, are on the streets of Ireland and the cities of Ireland, right? And that's going to infect in, in, investment right along the line, like. When that goes out, imagine that going up in Sky TV and there is now that the Irish army are on the streets now to quell the, what's happening as a gas migration in Ireland. Now. That's a bloody great signal to send out there. All right, John. Listen, that's a fair point, uh, strongly held and well made, but I must go for news Thank at you. 10. I thank you very much for your Thank contribution you. this morning. Three and a half minutes to 10 o'clock. Uh, this is the Neil Prendeville Show. Our phone line is 0818 If you want to get in touch by text or WhatsApp, it's 0868 104 106. And news at 10 is on the way. I'm Lana O'Connor. Red FM News is first for local, national and international news. And you can stay up to date by tuning into our hourly news bulletins or by clicking on redfm.ie. Now, the Neil Prenderville Show. Red FM. Nine minutes past ten, back to our phone lines on line one of Steve. Morning, Steve. Good morning, Mick. How are you, bud? Good. Please stop talking about bringing the army onto the streets, you say. Oh, yeah, eh... Uh... Back to that. The last person you line there, right? That man needs to go in and get his head checked, if you ask me, all right? He's on about bringing the army onto the streets there. He doesn't have a clue what's going on with the world and what's going on around the place, all right? Bringing the army onto the streets is going to go backwards. Right? We're live, this is Ireland, we're living in a civilised country. We're not living in Kuwait or Afghanistan or one of them countries in Africa, in Africa but they're all carrying AKs, okay? Yeah, that, w- that would have been so the please, second last person. So please, just so not, please. The, not the last person. Oh, yeah, sorry. Yeah, okay. So no please more. forget about that, right? No, there's a few things I want to say to you, right? Do you remember a couple of years ago when we were visiting our elderly parents and our elderly grandparents and everything? Are we to stand five foot outside a window and look through look through a glass while they're all dying? And while we were told stay away from them to protect them and do this and do that? Can you remember that? Can all your listeners don't remember that? I do. It was a harrowing. I have another thing I want to say to you. Right? I've I've a list of things here now that are that are failing at the moment. Right? Eviction is failing. The rent is failing. Inflation is failing. Economy is failing. Healthcare is failing. The navy is failing. The army is failing. Apprenticeships and tradesmen are failing. Cancer patients are being failed. Drug addiction people are being failed. Um, what else? Special needs, kids, assistance. They're all being failed. We're being failed left, right and centre, right? And there's people out there now that think it's acceptable to bring hundreds of thousands of people in on top of us and we can't look after our own. How is that acceptable? How is that acceptable? I don't think anybody... Listen to me, Mick. Listen, and I'll say another thing. Where are the women and children? Where are they? Where are the women and children? There's no women and children coming. There's nobody from Ukraine coming. It's all illegal immigrant men, the same age myself, around 25, 26, coming here with better clothes than us, better phones than me and you. And any of them to get here, they need money to get out of their own countries. So they're not bad-off people, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. None of us have a bad thing to say. I have family members abroad, myself. I'm friends of foreigners. We all have things like that. That's why I'm saying, that's my point, you know, we're all struggling here. I've named out 20 services there that are failing, and I could keep going and keep naming lists of them. 
I could keep going for the morning with you, McKenna, to be honest with you. I'm yeah, delayed. Each, you know, you're talking about this this morning. Each one, each one of those failures that you spoke about, we've detailed yeah. on this programme and we're trying to champion the cause of the people. The only one I might take exception to is the economy is failing, you say. Probably not. The economy is probably booming. How, how is the economy? Did you have, are you able to put away money every week, Mick? You might be able to. I'm not. and I'm working a good job and all my buddies, they all have a good jobs and they all, everyone I know have a good job and they're not afraid. They're not, they're not able to save... Jack, they can't save Jack. They're paying the mortgages, they're paying what they can do, they're paying childcare, they're paying for their diesel, and they have nothing. They have minus every week. Minus is what they have. The working man is the poorest man in Ireland at the moment. You'd be better off on the dole and getting one or two days a week foxing if you could. And that's the truth, and everybody knows it, right? And now, how much are you paying tax a week, Mick? So how much tax I'm paying a week? Four or five hundred dollars what I'm paying a week. So I'm paying for four or five fellas to come over here from another country and live on my back. That's not good enough for all, Mick. That's not good enough. When I can't provide for my own family, my own family can't provide for them. My friends can't provide for their kids. And you think that's, you, you think it's acceptable to bring all of these people in here undocumented? No passport, no entry. It's as simple as that, all right? If I want to go to Australia in the morning, I want to go anywhere, it'll cost me thousands, thousands to get a visa if I'm lucky to get there. And you think this is acceptable? I, 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 do, the, do the people of Cork think this is acceptable? Do the people of Ireland think this is acceptable? Please, please. That opening your eyes to us, man, all the place. And please, they're helping us because we need help. We're on our knees and we're the working class. We're the people that listen to Red FM day in, day out for years. We're your listeners. We're the people that put you there. We're, we're, we're your fans. And I'm telling you now, you've all, it, it, the way it's going at the moment, Mick, by, you're, you're going to lose a lot of listeners. I think all the radio stations will lose a lot of listeners because you're all biased. You're all, you're all on the government side. Leo, Leo, you're all listening to Leo. Leo is the same fella now, right? That a few months ago was caught doing the dirt on his fella with another fella inside the club. All right, let's, 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 let's take a gave, breath Listen to me, sorry. This is the same fella now that gave uh, classified documents to his buddy who's uh, a doctor. Okay, Come on let's, now, like. let's, let's, He let's, was watered in on the sixth count in his own area. can't have a discussion, Steve, if, if you're going to do all the talking. All right, sorry, if, sorry. If, sorry if, yeah. if, if you want to take me to task, fine. We, I've tried, yeah. to, I've tried <sighs> to highlight every single one of those issues as I say, bar the economy, uh, the Minister for Finance and the 65 billion extra coming in from the... Uh, yeah, yeah. How, how that's distributed and, and how... And that well, it, I tell you it, know, should, it should be me. distributed to the I'm a normal working class. fella. I'm, I'm a working class fella and I won't see any of that 65 million but neither will the fellas I'm working with, neither will any of the people I know. I don't know where the money goes but it doesn't come to us anyway, brother. It doesn't come to us and where the fella... I'm on site here now. Where the fellas building the country? Where the fellas building the place? Keeping it going? Are we, we can't survive, Mick. We can't survive, it's as simple as that, you know what I mean? Yeah, I, I, I had a text uh, about three or four weeks ago when I was in here just for a day uh, from a guy, he sent me in a picture, he was driving a machine on site and he was building, uh, uh, he was building houses that were going to be given out to people uh, for free, uh, essentially for free, Is that, that's what he said, and any of these houses uh, that I would go for myself, I won't qualify to get one with assistance, I can't exactly. afford to buy one that I'm Listen building. Uh, I, know, I know a few people now by right? They have good jobs, tradesman, and your all as a teacher or a nurse or something like that. They're on good money, yeah? They don't have enough, they're not earning enough to get a mortgage and they're earning too much then to get help off the government. Where do they go, Mick? Where do they go in the morning knowing the landlord decides to sell his house? Where do they go? Steve, I, I know people with two full-time jobs who can't get enough to get a mortgage. Yeah, I know, together. but like, where who, do they go? Where do they go? Who can't even consider the financial implications of having a baby. Yeah. Yeah. No, you don't have to tell me this country is broken. It's broken in, in Mick, so many different listen, ways. Mick, even yourself, I've a lot of respect for you because I think you are neutral, yeah? I, 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 I try uh, to be, but you're damned if you do you and you're damned if you don't. No, but listen, you are. Like, I, I, I like listening to I, I like used to listen to your phone and stuff, but you are a bit neutral. At least you'll have a conversation. A lot of media out there now, but never mind, they won't even... 
they won't even comprehend it. They won't even listen to it because the minute you open your mouth now, you're labelled as this and you're labelled as that. Which is, it's, it's all, it's all bull, like, you know what I mean? What I I would say, Steve, is unless we had the independent media sector, like the Red FMs of the world, I don't don't think we're getting much opposition. Uh, I I know there are uh, very, very um, super journalists with integrity within RTE, but I think the general... The general feeling I, 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 I get is, is, is they're Mick, very protectionist of, of the government. Mick, Mick, they're being run by the government. It's as simple as that. Or, or the government pay RT's wages. By look, at, look at the wages they're on. Do, do you think Ryan Tolberty is worth half a million a year? Honestly, no. Do you think any of them are worth the money they'll be paid? Come on, man. Come on. Come on, no. Like, they're not worth it at all, right? The TV licence is another joke. Who even watches RTE? Who even watches the channels anymore? Nobody does, Mick, boy. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's a, it's a joke. Forget about RTE anyway. Forget about all of that because... They're all boys from the get-go. The minute then the ordinary people make a video and put it online or whatever, they're called racist. How is that racist, Mick? How is... I, I'm, after, I'm after witnessing... I, I've seen the thing in, in the city centre. I've seen a few of them. I haven't seen any racism. Like, I haven't seen it. And I was at the protest. I've seen it. I was in the shopping. I've seen it from both sides. And the next day, Neil Pendleville lied on air about exactly what happened. It was all lies the next day. And that's, this is more the reason why I'm actually... After opening my eyes to it, because I'm after seeing it myself, and then I'm after hearing the lies, blatant lies by that's put out to the put out to the people out there, put out to the old people and all the gullible people out there, and they believe it. Lies and like lies, what? Like, lies like what? Like I was in there now that day in Cy Cork City when Mick Barry and all them were there, and they tried to say that uh, the far right, that's what they label, you because know, if you've an opinion, you're far right. I never heard so much baloney on my life, right? They tried to say that the far right were had the aggression and had this. Well, I'm telling you now, Mick, I was in there. And I see no aggression coming from the far right. I've seen a load of aggression coming from the left. The far right didn't move the whole day, and the guards brought all the other protesters up to him. They brought him up to him. I witnessed this myself, but I wasn't talking about the next day on the radio. Another thing, people are on about Dublin the other day when they burned the tents and all this. There was nobody in the tents when they burned them. Everyone was gone out of it. And the next day, it was the local legend in there, and they cleaned the place better than the county council ever did clean the place. But you don't hear about that either. You know what I mean? Nobody, everyone is on about that. Nobody is from the area that actually it actually happened in. And the people from the area where it happened in were, were the people that lived there, mate. Okay. People that were born and bred there. Steve, you know uh, I mean? okay, l- let me just make a point here, um, because I wasn't listening to the radio that particular day, and I'm only filling in here, okay? Oh, yeah. Uh, but apparently the official said... Status... I don't listen to you much in the morning, mate, to be honest with you myself, because, like, it's a lot of it's bull, by you know, you're, a lot of it is bull. I like listening to you, you know, I used to love Neil, I'm listening to Neil since I'm a young fellow, and I tell, he's after turning me off a big way, because it's all, he's, he's all, he's not neutral, it's all bull. And I'm from the same area where Neil is from, and I'm from the same area where a lot of fellas are from, by. and you're turning your back on us, you're all turning your back on the working class people, that's what you're doing. But ha- have, have you heard Neil tackling senior politicians in, in a very, very strong-armed way? asking the questions that you're simply the questions you're asking you're making them as statements he's asking them as questions how come yeah. the health service isn't fit for purpose how, how come the squeezed oh. middle, working and middle class uh, can't afford and are looking down the down the barrel of if, if they have children uh, have, will eventually see them emigrate Mick, like we saw in the 80s because they can't afford no, God, a house this is how, listen, listen no yeah, this is how, never mind buying a house this is how bad it is right? so, sorry just, just, just to finish this point yeah. uh, but apparently um, we spoke to people on both sides that day we're allowed, we allowed all sides give their points that day and what the, that's what our show does and what life is you have to yeah, listen yeah, I know, I know, and have all sides of the debate for everyone to have their own opinion can I say one Mick okay. you're on about listen even around about a mortgage or whatever boy. come back before that right if you can get a mortgage now or if you're lucky enough to do that by your maid people know by it's, it's coming between putting petrol in the car to get to work or to keep money for food or to, to keep money for something else boy. that's how bad it is right this is coming from the horse's mouth here now brother tradesmen on site with other tradesmen friends with the best of them here 
building the nation, building the nation we are, and this is where we, we're, we're, we're contemplating now, do we have enough petrol for the rest of the week to get up and down to work, can we pay for this, can we pay for that, and like, like, what are we supposed to do, Mick Boy? What are we supposed to do? I hope, I hope everyone listening, I hope I'm not the only one out there. We're all normal people, the working class people, and we're struggling. We have nothing. If we want to get help, we can't get it. Okay, and listen, then, listen, and, just... and, and none of us are racist, but this is what's happening. It's not, it's not illegal immigrants' fault. It's Leo's fault. It's Michal Martin's fault. It's all of them fellas that are in charge that want voted in there. They should be all voted out the next time. And if people don't open their eyes to what's happening, and what's happening with COVID the last few years, with everything, how they brainwashed us, how we follow their rules, and, and now this is what they do to us. No, this is what they do to us after we've done everything from. A couple of years ago, I couldn't see my grandmother. I had to stand five foot outside the glass window and watch her die. And Jimmy heard the likes of all her life. And they can bring in hundreds of thousands of fellas now without, without anything and give them everything. Mick, that's taking, that's taking the thing now, but... You're, you're, here, look, Stephen, I'm going to go back to work there because I'm getting wound up to the... No problem. Listen, you're, you're making a lot of sense to me. Can I ask you one question? In, in what way... Uh, I'm, uh, this is probably a stupid question. In what way do you feel you'd be better on the dole and doing a couple of days Foxers? Gone? Okay, sorry. Oh, I was looking forward to getting an answer to that question, not to worry anyway. Uh, Michael called back, by the way, who was the second last caller, and uh, in explanation of his point, uh, he said that it was to protect the Gardaí who are working so hard. Who else is going to do it? A junior rugby team, he says, or St. John's Ambulance? Um, I think I think he best, Steve mentioned Cove there uh, and Gardy and Cove are continuing to investigate an alleged attack on a middle-aged man over the weekend. The incident involving a group of young people took place around 5.15pm Saturday on West Beach. Gardy arrested a male juvenile at the scene. He was later released without charge but a file is being prepared for the uh, Office of the Director of Public Prosecutions. Cove Gardy say they wish to speak to anyone with any information or footage uh, of the incident. We have an official statement here, which was featured on our news yesterday. Gardy are investigating an incident that occurred at approximately quarter past five, West Beach Cove, responding to reports of an altercation. I'm paraphrasing here. Male detained by uh, at the Garda station in Cork, later released without charge, filed for the DPP, incident being fully investigated. Anyone and with any information or footage of this incident asked to contact Cove Garda station uh, on 021-490-8530 or Middleton Garda station. And, and, and that was the official response, which we uh, often seek uh, from the Garda Press Office and which we must run with. Um, but at no stage do we ever want or try to give the impression that the altercation was between two sets of Cove people. Uh, and uh, I got personal texts yesterday, I got phone calls about it, uh, and I know we uh, had a bit up on our socials about it, um, and it, uh, we never contended, but maybe sometimes the lack of contention uh, would give an impression uh, that uh, is not warranted. So uh, I think everybody, the dogs in the street, as I was told yesterday in Cove, uh, no, it wasn't um, uh, a local family feud or anything like that. Uh, it's that locals were set upon, apparently, and allegedly, uh, by people who were visiting the town. So Karen said, I saw the video, it was awful behaviour. Uh, they were put back on the train. Uh, a lot of people told me that, actually. It was horrible carry-on, they weren't even from Cove, says Tara. Paula said it was a disgrace, none of them were from Cove. I think those who were set upon were. Uh, it took place in broad daylight. They shouldn't have been allowed on the train. The uh, couple came to visit Cove for the day. Uh, there was a liner in at the same time, apparently. What impression does that give? This country is going to the dogs. I couldn't believe it when I saw the fight on social media. I've cousins down in Cove. You're not safe going out your front door, so says Paula. Sadie said, released without charge after pulling a knife on them, as well as mangling the older man uh, and going uh, to hit his partner. Imagine, this is why they continue to do these th- things, because there are no consequences. Uh, the whole place 
police is going to the dogs. Elaine says that group weren't from Cove, as far as I'm aware. They came into town for the day. We came home from the city on the four o'clock train and there were about 50 teens on the train heading towards Cove and drinking. Uh, I figured it would turn into an issue somehow. Heather uh, texted us, yep, we were on the train with them. None of them look more than 15. Uh, parents are not doing their job again. I heard a few t- uh, talking, saying straight out their parents don't give them money, didn't know where they were going, uh, and they didn't have to be home by any specific time. One girl had to pretend she was going to the park and she'd be home by seven, and the others were saying they never tell their parents where uh, they're going or when they'd be back. It's actually sad. Parents don't care about their own kids enough to parent them. And there are three or four more. Deborah said there's nowhere safe now. It's scary. Mandy says, stop them at the train station. It's not hard to pick them out. Triana said... It's a beautiful, well-kept tourist town full of friendly locals who have pride in their town and would prefer if gangs from outside stayed out if they're coming to cause trouble, wouldn't everybody? Uh, Ellen finally says the only way to send a clear message to these unruly imbeciles is not to release them, put them behind bars until their case goes to court. There is no deterrent there to stop them. They're only laughing at the guardie and they must think the justice system is obviously hilarious, committing a crime and being released without charge. It's a laughable, really. So, says Ellen and your... Calls on the uh, topic are welcome, 0818 104 106 Okay, that's that's how you're feeling, is it? I'm in the exact same position as himself, but I'm a lone parent. Okay. I'm a lone parent. I have to work from Monday to Friday, every single day. I have to leave home at three o'clock. It takes me an hour and a half to get to work. I actually won't say where I'm working because I lose my job. Why, why, why would you lose your job? Uh, because where I'm working. Okay, and, and, and about what your feelings are, what you're going to say, is it? Yeah, because where I'm working, actually, I just can't say where I'm working because okay, I can see what's going on. Okay, that's fine, that's fine. I just wonder how you, how you lose your job, but carry on. Yeah, um, what hit me very, very hard, I, I'm in town every single day because I have to go to town to go to work. Every single day. What hit me the worst, I was on the bus yesterday. We were reared as young people, Irish. If you see an elderly person standing on the bus, you give them your seat. That's yeah. the way I was reared by my mother and father. God rest my father's soul. I was on the bus yesterday and there was people from every different country on the bus and there was two elderly ladies, lovely ladies, came on the bus and there was all foreign people sitting down and they wouldn't give up their seats. Okay, that's, uh, that's the way I was raised as well. You know, a man gives up a seat for a woman. Uh, certainly give up uh, your seat for an elderly woman and you would certainly give up your seat to a pregnant lady. Yes, that's the way I was raised. That's the way we were all raised. Like that. There were two elderly ladies got on the bus from Merchant Key with their shopping, as you do, and there was not one person would leave them sit down. And me and my friend gave them our seats as we were learned to do that and trained and learned and reared. Okay. It's a disgrace. But can I, can I just say that, that, you know, how is that the migrants' fault? Maybe that's the way they were raised. No, you're as your last caller. It's not their fault. It's our government. They're a disgrace. I'm in the same situation as their last caller, struggling from week to week. Every day you're thinking about, what will I pay today? How much will I spend on food today? What bills will I pay today? What will I leave out this week? What will I leave out next week? That's what life is all about now in this country. It's a disgrace. And do you see any brighter future coming your way? 
the, uh, brighter future. I have a daughter. She's 16. This is my point. She goes to school. She's in fourth year transition year. She has an iPhone 9. There's a girl sitting next door in her class. She's Ukrainian. She has an iPhone 11. My daughter is cutting her phone. Her phone is taken off her. The Ukrainian girl is on her phone. Her phone isn't taken off her. Where'd you go from there? In the same class? In the same class. Okay, so so are teachers being instructed not to take phones for, for breach of the rules of certain cohorts? I don't know. I'm not a teacher. When my daughter came home from school the other day, she said her phone was taken off her. I said, ma'am, my phone was taken off me, she said, because I was using it. And she said, ma'am, there was a girl sitting next to me. She's Ukrainian. She was on her phone. An iPhone 11. I can't even afford to buy my daughter an iPhone 11. Yeah, Texter says that Sharon gave up her seat. They're obviously not listening. Yes, of course you did. You, you gave up your seat as you were educated to by your parents. By my parents. My father, God rest his soul, has passed away for 10 years. My mother lives on her own. That's the way we were reared. And they're all just looking at the elderly people. And they were two lovely people. I said they were in their 70s, going in to get their bread and their milk or whatever. And they were looking at them standing. Okay. That's just, what, just, that's just make a couple of points. I, I, I've seen on public transport uh, Irish school kids, and I'm assuming they're Irish, they certainly looked Irish, uh, not giving up their seats. So, you know, it's, it's not totally the lot... Uh, of those that you're assuming to be foreign, maybe assuming to be looking for shelter here. Um, and, and does every Ukrainian have to be poor? No, poor. You don't even understand what they're, what they're getting when they come into the country. They're getting everything. My friend was talking to a man the other day. There's houses being built brand new. I came into a house, it was falling apart 12 years ago. It's after, I'm, I'm, I'm after working, working my ass off to try to put my home around me. And they're walking into homes and all you have to do is just hang their hat. Where'd you go from there? Can, can, I, can I just say, say to you, Sharon, and, and I've mentioned these figures, Roderick O'Gorman said yesterday, this time last year, 8,500 people looking for refuge here. Now it's 85,000. Okay, that's yeah, a huge, what, huge increase. Would, would would you be of the mentality and the psyche to to welcome a certain amount of asylum seekers, those uh, running from war, refugees, people who are looking for for the shelter of this state? Would you like if if that had doubled rather than multiplied by ten, would we be in a better position? Would 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 you be more tolerant, uh, or is it that we're absolutely rammed to the rafters now and we can't cope? Exactly. Your your what you just said there is a hundred percent right. It's it's gone too far. There's no going back. I, I suppose no the, the, the question is, what, you know, when you differentiate between the far right and the and and, and the left, um, the, the the far right in my day were were, were fascist Nazi skinheads. Now, now nowadays, your far right, if you criticise. Uh, immigration policy, if you protest in the street, you, you can be labelled far right. Uh, the, the, the left by their own nature are much more conservative um, and uh, probably wealthier uh, and probably benefiting from better education and, and are not called to action or don't ring radio stations because uh, that's, their sensibilities have not been pushed uh, as much as you guys have been triggered because you're at, you're at the coalface, you're seeing it you're seeing it on the bus your child is, is, is seeing, you know, what you think is discrimination. Uh, and I understand that people are very, very frustrated, but we're not hearing anything uh, from, from the left side. So a little bit of, that's why I need to balance it a little bit. Uh, in that we- oh, I know. Yeah, I understand that. But like, it's, it's at a stage now, it's gone to a stage, like, as your last caller really, really got to me. He was so, so upset. Like, as he said, we're, like, I'm, I'm working. I have to work. 
I cannot not be working. I could not live on 260 euro a week. My rent alone would be 90 euro. My food, my AFB, my gas, everything. I wouldn't be, I'd be homeless, but I'm passing, I pass through town every single day. I go from Partick Street to Olive Plunkett Street to the South Man. Every single day, Monday to Friday. I can see Irish people on the streets with a cup, begging. And I can see people from different countries walking the past with pennies bags, Dunn's bags, you name it, they have it. And that, and that kind of upsets you, does it? Yes. And then I can see people just sitting on the bus and they have gold watches and they have the best of phones. They have all new clothes. And there's our own then begging on the streets in addiction. Addiction. And they can't get help. And this is coming from experience. Okay, so you're, you're putting the blame fairly and squarely at, at, at the feet of the government. The, 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 like, the government much like not, Stephen it's not, said. It's not, it's not the people's fault. It's not the people from the different countries' fault. It's the government's fault. I don't blame the people all from all different countries. It's not their fault. It's like, great. Right, come on in, Ireland, you get this, you get that, you get everything. It's not their fault. It's the government's fault. They're a fucking joke. Sorry for my language, though. I'm so upset as well. Okay, but if, if it's the government's fault, then why are you ringing complaining about a young Ukrainian girl? You really don't know the situation. The situation? It's not just Ukrainian. It's Chinese. It's Indian. It's Pakistan. It's every different nationality in the country now. Mm. Con- there's, con- more, there's, there's more different nationalities on the bus now than there is Irish people. It's a bad state of affairs when an elderly person can't get a seat in the bus. What do you think of that? So, I mean, that's the society we have here now. We had an open-door policy as part of the EU. Many, uh, yourself included, would probably say, we've opened the door a bit too wide. Uh, now it's too late, they're here. We're trying to cope. The country's creaking, bursting at the seams. Obviously, tempers are frayed. I understand all that. Um, but what happened to Ireland of the Welcomes? But, like, our own, like, my own, I have three children myself, two boys, one girl. If we go to apply for something, we have to fill out forms, we have to get bank statements, we have to get birth cert, we have to get everything. They don't have to get anything. They're just going in, just getting the PPS number here all the way to the post office. Do you think that's right? Like even yourself, if you have to go for something, you have to fill out forms for your tax, for your rent. I got a rent review last week. I, I, I had to go and get bank statements, birth cert, for a rent review. Do they have to do all that? No. I'm not sure what specifically they have to do, but you're, you're contending that they have a much easier ride than the Irish citizen. All they have to do, they're coming in, fill out, they only have to fill out farms. The farms are actually being filled out for them. They're given a PPS number. Here, go collect your money in the post office. So what's the solution? The solution? I don't know. The government needs to say that, but the government should just get out and we need a new government. But if, if we close our doors right now, we're going to have these problems for years to come. If we keep the doors open, uh, we're only going to be compounding and adding to the problems we already have. Un- unless we have a massive injection of housing capacity. And, and, and how, what, how, about, how, what about our own? They're down the streets then. Did you not see them yourself on the street? People in addiction, which is very, very sad. People I, in addiction. Sharon, I'm, I'm the first one to say, and I've said it many times, that the, the homelessness situation here has been almost conveniently forgotten about um, be, because we seem to have bigger fish to fry. It hasn't gone away, you know. We've we got no. ma- major problems here in, the, in, in that regard. And I understand people's sensibilities if they see 
what they see as foreigners coming in here on a bit of a gravy train uh, and getting facilities that they feel could be better used for Irish people. Yeah, I, like if I was a young person now, and it's a terrible thing to say, if I was a young person, maybe 16, 17, 18, I'd be gone out of this country because there's not even work in this country for my own children. Okay, um, a texter is saying uh, almost 5% of houses here are left vacant. Uh, it's not make that Ireland is full. Uh, it's it's uh, that Ireland has left been left go empty. The tank is dry. We can't keep driving the way we're going, essentially what they're exactly. saying. Exactly. Like, right. up to a few weeks ago, you know yourself, if you go to your weekly shop, you get a good bit of food and you're paying, what, maybe 100 euro. Now you're going in and you're getting trolley full of messages and you're paying up to 167 euro. Yeah, well, we did we did um, discuss that with the Minister for Finance and they're putting a lot of pressure on the supermarket chains to, you know, with inflation coming down, it's 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 still very, very high. But we're looking at, uh, hopefully, uh, a may, maybe even a supermarket price war because if they are going to be forced to reduce prices, they, you know, they're going to be saying, well, I'm better than you. Our our chain is better than yours and, and only the consumer will win there. Um, but yeah, look, but all I want to say is your last caller anyway, whatever his name is, what was his name? Yeah. Uh, Oh, sorry, is it um, Stephen, was it? Yeah, well, I just want to say, Stephen, if he's listening, he made a great point, and I'm with him 100%. He said everything perfectly. Okay. He, he's, kind of, he's kind of said in two minutes what we've been saying in, in this programme for two years. We have to do it in a little more polite and nuanced way. But, uh, yeah. you know, we're, yeah. I, I'm actually on the side of trying to figure out how the hell can we fix this? Because, uh, and look, it's like a broken record. Um, you know, the health, yeah, exactly. the health system is a crisis. The housing system is... And, and I agree. I, I absolutely right. agree. But, I, I, you know, I also... Now, whatever about what happened in Dublin, not hurting anyone, there was no one there when the tents were burned uh, and all of that. I also... You know, you have to champion, champion peaceful protest. But when it comes to violence against other humans, uh, I think we've crossed a very dangerous line there. But I do understand that people's tempers are frayed, if not boiling over at this stage. Like, when I was sitting on the bus, right... You could see, like, there was, what, five or six Irish people. You can see the anger in the people's faces. You can see it. They're not speaking, but you can see it in their faces. Okay, uh, Sh- Sharon, anger. Sharon, Peter Peter wants to get in here, if you don't mind. Uh, P- Peter, what's your point? Well, maybe if our house has been bombed with missiles and cruise missiles and artillery shells, you know, different too. And I watch that on, but you know, about Pakistanis and Chinese people, isn't there? Lots of Irish people. In America and Australia, If you're in Ukraine and Vladimir Putin is firing cruise missiles into your front door, you may be doing a different tune, would you? Did I say every different country? I didn't just say Ukraine. I said Pakistan. Are the Chinese being bombed? No, they're not. Are the Pakistans being bombed? No, they're not. So do my you I'm a lone parent. I have to go to work every single day, Monday to Friday, to keep food on my table. You yeah, have to watch your thing. You have to clue. Do you see what's going on every single day? What? There's some junkies on the side of the street. They're crying over, is it? Jo- I, I wouldn't call them junkies. I call them what addiction. Is it, I got attacked by a junkie. Right? Yeah. I got attacked Adi. by a junkie, yeah. Right. Yeah, but that's wrong. That's we're, totally wrong. We're going to have yeah, to stop by unless scum, you stop there. Yeah, there's scarves get rid of them. Scum. It's the race. Like you and race, I like wouldn't agree. And I, do you know what? Do you know what? I agree with you there because I have been, to be honest, I have been trying to be robbed by people in addiction. 
I have been yeah. going through town. I can't even bring a big hangman with me. I have to bring yeah, a bag. It's like pandemonium downtown with Irish junkies okay. terrorising people. Yeah, uh, oh, Guys, we're going to have to leave it because of, of the constant F-bombs. But I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't call them junkies. I call them people in addiction, but if they're yeah. attacking people... Yeah. It's Tony Haney and Derek Blade are racist. You're not the racist. What'd you say? You're, you're racist. How could I be racist if my child is half African? Oh, really? Well, there's some people who are actually... My daughter in... is half African, so her father is coloured. So how could I be racist? Well, you're giving out a bit Chinese and Pakistani people, aren't you? And giving out a bit Ukrainian people, so you're xenophobic. So, how could you raise the Senate if I have half cast order? I don't know, but you're giving out a bit Chinese and Pakistani people. There you people, go. Answer that question now. My daughter's father is African, so how could I be racist? You haven't a clue what you're saying. Being attacked by uh, a, a people in addiction is totally wrong. Yeah, I agree on something, guys. Heavy Chinese people here. And you just call it. You just said junkies. So what? Junkies. Yeah. Well, you're you're giving it a bit Chinese. No, if you had a son in addiction, so if you had a son or a daughter in addiction, would you call him a junkie? Your own child. Well, if they're an alcoholic, I call him an alcoholic. And if a drug addict, I call him a drug addict or junkie. Yeah. So what you you're, you're junkie giving out about Chinese people and Pakistani people. You don't like to look at Chinese home. people on a bus. No, if it's, if it's coming from home and you have a child like in addiction, if you have a child in addiction, would you call your child a junkie? Yes, yeah, so they are junkies. You just said you would. What's the difference? Okay, guys, we're going to have to leave it there. A lot of, lot of F-bombs, and uh, that, that offends a lot of people. But uh, thank you for being so emotive and, uh, and sticking to your guns. Peter and Sharon, thank you very much. Uh, we, thanks very much. Thank thanks, you. Thanks very much. Okay, 16 minutes to uh, 11 o'clock. A lot more to cover. We'll come back in a moment. Call the Neil Prenderville Show now. 0818-104-106. Red FM. It is uh, 13 minutes to 11 o'clock. Good morning from the Neil Prenderville Show. This is Mick Mulcahy. Apologies for the language that came from both sides in that previous interview. Sometimes you're torn between... Uh, we've got a dump uh, here. It's called a dump. It's a time delay system. Uh, but when you use it, which I very, very, very rarely have, have had to do... Uh, you're often accused then of suppressing free speech. Oh, the easiest thing to do is, oh, he got rid of him off the air. So you kind of have to weigh it up on, on a live basis and try and correct the language. Please don't use it. And if it continues to be used, uh, then we have to step in and uh, and finish the interview. But my apologies if uh, anyone was uh, upset by any of the F-bombs uh, that came in from our last interview. Uh, thanks for holding, Connie. That was entertaining for, uh, for many people, I think. Uh, were you listening? I was, yeah. I listen yeah. every day. Strong-held opinions, yeah, and, and, you know, everyone has a right to make them. We try to offer that platform to everybody, whatever their position is. Healthy debate is part of a good democracy as well. Yeah, um, well, we won't have that soon. Now, when the new hate speech laws come in, we won't be able to ring you and have a conversation with you. That's what people need to be aware of. Yeah, how bad do you think it is? I, I'm always well, very, very wary of vague language when it comes to legislation because it, it, yeah. uh, it can be interpreted many, many ways. Well, I just I initially wanted to come on just to just give it a bit of balance about the camp thing. Um, I was watching that on Twitter because Facebook is not the place to be if you want to know what's going on in Ireland or RT news. You won't hear it. But basically, McBarry's buddy Paul Murphy put out a tweet calling for reinforcements to defend the camp against local Irish people, concerned citizens, that these guys had blocked the laneway. And every day there was more and more of them coming with their camps and their laptops and whatever. So he put out a tweet and his activists came 
and it got heated, which it did get heated. They, as far as I can see, the only violence I saw was from a guy, allegedly a terrorist, called Musa Dugan, wanted in 150 countries, shouting, this is our land, he's Turkish. He pulled an iron bar off a fence, he started assaulting people with it, Irish families, Irish people. So it got a bit heated, that's admitted. Uh, the camp was cleared out, and later that night, the residents burnt what was left there because it was left in a bad state with feces and urine and whatever. And, and then it was so cleaned it was up. Is, Irish it, is, is, it, is it all cleaned up again now? It wouldn't be very enticing to go and stay there in a tent anymore, would it? Oh, they were taken away, and word on the street is they were accommodated. I don't know how true. One of them was on uh, up front last night with Katie, whatever her name is, Hannon, Lucas. Yeah, you might have saw him, Lucas from Brazil, he's all over TikTok. He's had to be in multiple countries all over Europe, an economic migrant with the best of gear on him. But now he's poor and he's living on the streets of Ireland. Uh, yeah, so people just need to wake up, get off Facebook, get off RT, open your eyes, see what's going on around you. Because in a couple of years, we're going to be in a minority in this country. You're, you're almost suggesting, Connie, that, that, that some people are career economic migrants and that this... We have a soft Absolutely. Si- we have a soft system 100%. here that they can exploit. Absolutely, we have a, we have a we had now have a fella called Peter Guerrero. He re- relocated to Ireland, brought his whole family over on a forged passport. He's a wanted man. Look up his convictions, what he's wanted for. This is what we're bringing in here now, okay? And this camp was right around the corner from schools. People living there in the location, elderly people terrified to go outside their door because they don't know what they're dealing with. Mm-hmm. This is what's been brought into so, the streets of Ireland now. I'm just reading some of the narrative here from those who are championing the cause of, of those who, you know, who destructed the camp. Uh, these are the lads that love their community. They won't have any undocumented men living amongst the women and children. Amazing scenes here on Pierce Street. It's their community and they're allowed to do it. Uh, and another footage recorded earlier that day, I won't name him, but a far-right agitator, please don't name him, narrated commentary over scenes of the protest between groups at the camp. And Gardia kind of lost in drawing a line, really, yeah. between anti- and pro-migrant groups. There's no denying that Ireland is a welcoming place. But is our patience oh, yeah, being tested? Well, I tell you, know, there was one so-called activist for people before Profit was there. She was shouting at the Irish people, saying... Um, uh, calling them Nazi scum, refugees are welcome here. Um, somebody spoke to her, and she actually is homeless herself, living in a hostel. That would tell you the mentality now of what's out there. We have, we we know are suffering from the far left, not the far right, the far left, who want to flood this country when we already have thousands, thousands of homeless. We have our own people working, breaking their backs. Anyone can walk in here now and claim asylum, right? We have a court case now, this guy that's took the Irish people to court, the taxpayers to court, and the judge ruled in his favour that he should have been accommodated. The the borders are wide open now. They're coming in by the day. Look it up. There's up to 500 a week walking in here, getting everything for nothing, and our own people are struggling, suffering, and because they won't come away from mainstream media... They think it's not happening. They okay. just won't open their eyes. Current Justice Minister Simon Harris, I know he won't be much longer because uh, the uh, uh, the incumbent is coming back into the job. She was out on maternity leave. Um, uh, utterly appalling, he said, and unacceptable scenes in Sandwith Street. 
last night. Everyone in this country has a right to be safe. The right to protest, this is the key line here, the right to protest is never a right to endanger or intimidate. What do you make of that? But, well, so you're telling me so this fellow Moose Dugan that took the urban bar off shouting, this is our land, the video's there, if you want to see it, he's screaming at the Irish local residents telling them, this is our land. He's living in a lame way from Turkey, wanted by Interpol, allegedly. He was taken off the list. Okay, I'm, 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 trying, I'm, trying to get a, I'm trying to get a balance from the political side. People before Prophet TD, Paul Murphy, uh, he spoke out about the attacks on the homes of the asylum seekers, but he said, we warned the government again and again that by putting asylum seekers on the streets, they were putting people in serious danger. Uh, they did it anyway. Uh, as Paul, Murphy, Paul Murphy is one of the welcome brigade. Paul Murphy have a tweet up on Twitter. It's a couple of years old. And it's actually, it's, he says, I'm Antifa. And he's proud of it. Like these people, Antifa in some countries are a known terrorist group. And this is the his henchmen that he's calling out on Twitter to come and defend the camp. Antifa, look them up. So we've we've allegedly now all the concerned people here that are terrified to walk through Patrick Street, terrified Waterford is, is ready to explode, Killarney, City West, I told you we have this fellow now, Peter Guru. He came in here in a false passport, living it up at the Irish taxpayers' uh, expense, sitting back and laughing at the Irish people. These are the people Paul Murphy is advocating for. Okay, and, 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 and Tifa, as, as I recall, uh, it's it's a kind of United States-born movement, uh, but we would be very left-wing, very anti-fascist, very anti-racist. Yeah. But you would contend too tolerant. No, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying. This group needs to be recognised as far left. They're calling us concerned citizens, grandmothers. They're calling us Nazi scum, right? And they're allowed to get away with it because he's an elected TD. He mobilised people to come out the other night, antagonise the local residents. It's all there to see, right? Calling them Nazi scum. Refugees are welcome here. That's fine. Refugees are welcome here. But where are we going to put them? We have our own homeless situation. We can't house what we have here. You know? Like there was a guy living in a tent in a field with his children, two of them disabled. Where was the Ferrari in Irish family? Where was the Ferrari about him? You remember he was on prime time. Where was the big outcry for that man and his family and his wife out working? It's gone beyond the joke now. Irish people just get off Facebook, get off RT. Our country is won't last much longer. Your nationality won't mean anything to you, okay? And it's not racist to say that. Our culture, everything is slowly dying. And if that's what you want, that's fine. You get what you deserve at the end of the day. There's, there, there's a Simple lot that. of substance in, in what you're saying there. Uh, and it's going to take a lot of debate to, to nuance everything out of it, OK? But people are worried about the Ireland of the future. And, and what we're seeing, what we're seeing in Sandwich Street, is the, is the vocal and physical expression of, of, of that worry. Something needs to happen. We need, either need to close the doors and try to cater for what we have and filter out, and filter out those who, who, whom we know shouldn't be here and are not welcome, filter yeah. out the opportunists who are milking the system and, and help those in genuine need. Because I, I, I don't think we've ever walked away from helping people who are genuinely in need and putting ourselves in hardship uh, if, yeah, if, if, but yeah, we're if we can achieve But we're actually putting our own people last. 
Yeah, we're right. actually putting our own people last. Connie, I have to go to wrong. news, but, but, but thank you very much for, no for your contribution. Thank you very much. Lovely to talk to you. Bye-bye. And bye. you too. Thanks, thanks a million. Bye it bye. is three minutes to 11 and news is on the way. Hey, it's Dave. Join me weekdays from four for Dave Max Drive, where I'll help get you home or give you a little lift at home. Big hits, loads of fun features and traffic info. What more could you need? Join me weekdays from four. Dave Max Drive. Now, the Neil Prenderville Show, Red FM. And uh, to an email before we go back to our phone lines. Good morning. Just listening to the gentleman who's speaking at the moment. He obviously feels very passionately about what he believes is, is Ireland's dereliction of its own people in terms of housing and health, etc. I agree that the ordinary Irish person has a rough deal. Uh, but they were having a rough deal in lots of ways prior to Ukrainians and people from other countries coming into Ireland with extortionate rents and an over-reliance on private renting rather than more social housing in terms of council and or housing association housing and a lack of affordable mortgages in order for people to buy their own home. As for the far right, they do unfortunately exist and what they've done is lay the groundwork, lit the fuse and stood back to watch the fireworks explode. In other words, they've sown seeds and riled people up to the point that Mr and Mrs Average who've never had a racist thought in their lives, have suddenly decided that the ills of Ireland are solely due to immigrants. The far right have achieved what they wanted to achieve, and shame on them. The far left, though, are no better. They've spent years banging the drum for what they thought was utopia, uh, i.e. Russia and countries like that. The lady who's on now is an interesting story. Whether it's true or not is debatable. Perhaps the Ukrainian girl has been allowed access to her phone in an exceptional circumstance. And Ukrainians led a civilised life prior to this invasion, why should they not lead a civilised life now? They don't want benefits, they want work to be able to contribute, same as most other immigrants do. The worst over here in England are the English themselves with benefits all the way, some on more money than I am, and I work full time. Uh, To end, uh, the Irish government really do need to sit down and think how to sort out Ireland's problems for the sake of the Irish people, as well as continuing to help others the best they can. I'd be grateful if you could read out this and have a good day. Okay, let's go back to our phone lines. On line two is John is it Lennon or Lennon? It's Lennon. Lennon, John Lennon. All right, and you're the CEO of Doris, D-O-R-I-S. It's a Limerick-based human rights organisation. Yes, that's that's right, Jess. We've been in existence for the last 23 years supporting refugees and migrants. Okay, so uh, on that basis of supporting refugees and migrants, you would find the recent um, attacks in Dublin and the uh, destruction of that tented village, if you like, extremely worrying. Absolutely. I mean, it, it's frightening that we, we have reached a point in Ireland where we have people attacking others physically on the streets the way we saw last Friday night in Dublin. Um, we do have... Um, close to 600 asylum seekers who are homeless at the moment um, and clearly they're not safe on the streets. Um, now we have to bear in mind you know, that these, they, these are not people that have come here seeking benefits. These are people that have come here to seek sanctuary, to seek safety, to seek protection. They're escaping from war, they're escaping from torture, they're escaping from persecution and we have a moral as well as a legal responsibility to keep them safe. Okay. And is that responsibility being abdicated by the government in your in your estimation? No, it's it's um 
hugely disappointing that close to 600 of them have been left homeless and a recent court case found that the, the government was in fact in breach of the law by not providing for, for their basic needs under an instrument called the Reception Conditions Directive. But What, 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 what we, about we, the Irish people's constitutional right and there's many more than 600 who are homeless? But, but this isn't a competition between Irish people and asylum seekers. You know, we need here in this country to provide homes and to provide safety for everybody. So we, we can never allow ourselves to get into a situation where we're pitting one group of people against another. Everybody has equal rights to housing and to um, have their basic needs met. So... Acts that we saw perpetrated against asylum seekers in Dublin and, and you know, those who, who did the burning of that village and, and, and did the clean-up afterwards would say there, there was no act perpetrated against asylum seekers. It, it was just against uh, shelter and tents and there was pallets involved. That was what was burning. Uh, the people were mostly men. They've been left on the streets by the Irish government. Um, that's what would be contended. Uh, they, it could be contended they're extremely vulnerable. It could be contended they're at grave risk. Um, or it could be contended people are just intent on rooting them out and causing them harm. Where, where would you stand on it? Well, contention is one thing, but facts are another. You know, the people who were subjected to to um, attacks, whose very basic meagre possessions were burned, um, you know, were at risk. They were fearful for their lives. And, and we cannot allow ourselves as a society in Ireland to get to that level where we're burning people's possessions, where we're attacking them on the streets. And again, we have to bear in mind that these are very vulnerable people who have escaped from persecution, who have escaped from war, who are trying to reach safety. And this is what they find in Ireland. Now, we also have to say that, you know, if we look back over our our recent history here in Ireland, and even over the last year or over the last couple of decades, communities have been extremely welcoming and have been extremely supportive, not just of beneficiaries of temporary protection from Ukraine, but from asylum seekers from, from all over the world. And we see that there have been fantastic examples of, of, of support and of integration, the length and breadth of the country. And that's what we need to get back to. And we do need to see our government getting better around communicating the, um, why people are coming here, ensuring that their rights are understood and protected, but also engaging with communities and ensuring that communities have the resources and, and have the services that they need for everybody in the community. Is the government guilty then in that respect of, uh, you say, the lack of communication uh, in, in setting forth their stall, um, you know, giving a status report on the numbers that are coming in from this area for that reason, from this area for that reason, uh, our plans to house them, but also in parallel uh, with our efforts to deal with our own problems for our own citizens? Well, um, we, we, we've, we've got problems um, in terms of housing clearly in, in the country. So we, we need a coordinated, concerted government effort to address that and to, sure, to ensure that no people are, are left homeless in, in this country. In addition to that, we have our responsibilities to ensure that others who are coming here seeking protection are also um, have have their basic needs met. So we need to ensure that we provide a that we have a plan, a national plan, a sustainable, coherent plan that ensures the reception, the accommodation, and the integration of 
of, of, of refugees works in, in this country, while also solving all of the other issues and problems we have in housing and health and, and so on. Okay, so you're a Limerick-based human rights organisation, John. You're the CEO of Doris. Um, where are the pressure points geographically, do you think? Is it, is it the big cities? Uh, is it the satellite towns? Is it Dublin, per se? Um, it, it's primarily the cities, and, and because the majority of people who enter the, the country come into Dublin, there's a particular pressure point in, in Dublin. We, we have the difficulty in that asylum seekers are not... Um, allowed access to emergency accommodation um, supports, which is why the, the tents had to be erected just off Mount Street as, as people came there to, to seek um, to seek asylum. Now, inevitably, we've seen um, homeless international protection applicants having to move out of Dublin because, as we know, it's unsafe. We hope that the government will provide accommodation for all of those. But again, they need to do that in, in a in a constructive way that respects the asylum seekers, but also respects the communities that people are um, will will arrive in and will live in. Okay, and if if that lack of respect is felt, a perceived lack of respect or an actual lack of respect by the communities who are bearing the brunt of uh, you know of these tented villages because of lack of accommodation, um, can you blame them for taking things into their own hands in an extreme sense, you know, or in? Well, even in, even in a peaceful sense, uh, but very vocal sense. We can't blame or shouldn't blame any communities for, for looking to ensure that it's got the services that it needs. But we cannot um, allow ourselves to take out our frustrations on the innocent parties in all of this, who are the asylum seekers. They've not caused any of the problems we've had in this or have in this country in relation to housing, in relation to the poor health services, in relation to the many other difficulties we have. So it's hugely unfair to put asylum seekers in the positions that they're being put in now, where they're the ones that are experiencing the anger and the frustration, and we have to say violence that's orchestrated by the far right. And and in the absence of I think it's really important that communities, you know, ensure that they get proper information, that they they they, they come together, they consider the situations, but they consider the plights that the asylum seekers are in as well and the fact that they are very vulnerable people who need to be safe and not to listen to the misinformation and lies that's been spread by the far right. But what what if the local communities who are taking the brunt of, of the, the, the occupation of their communities really, albeit temporary, what if they feel that the vetting process isn't up to scratch or not to their satisfaction? Uh, that undesirables might be in their area. I, I, I don't understand what you mean by vetting process because there there is no requirement to vet people who come into the country. Um, vetting is a process that's undertaken for people who are working with children or other vulnerable people. So I, I don't, there, there isn't a need to, to, to vet people. I presume that when you mean occupy, you're also referring to the fact that we have orchestrated far-right protests that are occupying and that are targeting communities because, again, you know, asylum seekers are not occupying anywhere. They're just looking for some place to, to live. Yeah, when, when, I, when I said vetting, I probably uh, more... No, I, know, I know that guard of vetting needs to go on for those working with the, uh, mm. with the aged and with the young. Um, but but if, if a community feels that uh, not proper examination of past criminal records or history in that regard... Yeah. Uh, could could have undesirables in their area. Are they not entitled to be worried? 
And no, they, 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 they don't need to be worried in this case because every international protection applicant is fully documented. When they make their application for asylum in the country, there's full records of where they've come from. All of the information that, um, that they've got is um, gathered by the Department of Justice. They're probably more documented than any of the rest of us in the country, probably more documented than most of the tourists who arrive into a hotel in any of our communities. And, and the other point that's really important to, to, to remember and for, for communities to be reassured about is that within the international protection system, Everybody is here legally. There are no illegal asylum seekers. When you make an application for asylum, when you look, when you seek safety and sanctuary here in Ireland, you have a legal status in the country. Okay. So what is the solution? I, I, I know it's, it's the $64 million question here. What can the government do because they have a lack of facilities uh, what what is the solution? You're at the coalface of asylum seekers, and and it is extremely worrying that uh, there are 600 migrants now homeless in Ireland. I know we can counter that by saying there are more uh, Irish homeless, but just on the asylum seekers alone, what solution do you see? Well, we, there's no doubt that um, this is hugely challenging for the government because they they have done within the Department of Children they've done phenomenal work in finding accommodation for tens of thousands of people over the last year, particularly as a result of people who are escaping from from the war in Ukraine. However, we've got an over-reliance on short-term temporary or emergency accommodation. We've got too many people who are staying in in, in hotels, which is, of course, having an impact on, on the tourist industry. We've got people living in unsuitable and unfit accommodations around the country. So we do need to see a better long-term national plan from the government in relation to the reception, the accommodation and the integration of refugees. We need to look at the solutions that they've been slow in bringing on stream, like modular um, units, um, like the the refurbishment of buildings that are lying empty now, like the 160,000 vacant units we've got around the country, finding ways to bring those into use. And again, it's really important to say here that we are looking to find solutions, not just for asylum seekers or for people from Ukraine, but for everybody who's homeless in this country. We shouldn't have any people on our streets. We're a relatively well-off country. We've got lots of buildings that we can bring into use and we need to start doing that. All right. John Lennon, CEO of Doris, a Limerick-based human rights organisation. Thank you very much. Thank you. Okay. Now a text to the programme from Derek Bly. I was called a racist today on your show with absolutely no objection from your presenter. Since I began my activism, I've consistently shown that I do it in support of Irish people who are being put on the streets to accommodate illegitimate welfare migrants posing as refugees. At the beginning, we were told we were getting women and children from Ukraine. I helped expose that as a blatant lie by the Irish government and misinformation by the media, including Red FM, by the way. Uh, I did speak to Derek on a a previous programme, but he continues, I've helped show our people that they are being replaced in this country demographically and as voters. The media continually misrepresent my stance and refuse to allow me on the air to defend myself when defamed. Fortunately, we've uh, reached a critical mass of population awareness and it will become evident over the next few months and especially in the next elections, the mistakes the government and media have made. Words don't harm me, but the media and government's refusal uh, refusal to show an honest portrayal of the facts 
will end up harming them. Ireland has had enough of the lies and Red FM will have to assume their fair share of the blame when the time comes. Thank you for reading my response. And that's from Derek Bly. Talk to Neil Prenderville now. 0818-104-106. Cork's Red FM. And some more texts into the programme on 0868-104-106. John and John O'Donovan. Uh, John does know that Michael was giving his opinion and the army on the street is not actually going to happen, doesn't he? The man is eternally outraged and he'd want to get a grip, says Mags, on the refugee situation. I totally disagree. Shame on this unelected government. Uh, technically, it was elected, uh, but I know what you're getting at. That has a duty of care to us, the citizens, first and foremost. They're not listening. No vetting, no cap on numbers. It's a joke now. My French friends ask if we're all dead here, uh, that we're not stopping this. I'm furious, says Shiona. Any mention of the terrorist wanted by Interpol who was living in that camp? Where's the balance in this discussion? The people who were there were concerned citizens, not far right. The word is out on Ireland as a welfare haven. Blame our leaders who answer and kowtow to the Europeans and not the decent Irish people. The Spanish know there's plenty of room in Ukraine for them, and they won't empty their hotels for them. It's a joke. I'm in agreement with this man. He's making so much sense, says another. The international community needs to recognise Crimea as a part of the Russian Federation. Crimea has a Russian-majority population, and it wishes to join the Russian Federation. It would be the first step in defusing the Russian-Ukrainian war and Ukrainian refugee crisis. And how dare Red FM allow that fellow on the air to demand the army protect the uh, shanty towns that are popping up everywhere? Where's the protection for the Irish against foreign criminals walking in here? The Guardian had no problem bashing the protesters at the Shell protest in Mayo. And one more. Hi, Mick. Just want to make a point. It's not the people of Ireland causing trouble on the street. They're concerned citizens. It's the government's fault for this unrest, leaving people into our country with no passports and no documents. We're the only country in the world that's allowing this madness, says Mary Jane. James is on line one. Hiya, James. Good morning. Hi, good morning. Morning, uh, Mick. No, you agree, um, you agree with John O'Donovan, do you? Yes, and the other uh, callers there, very impressive young woman, Connie, you had on there. She really seemed to know her stuff. No, I, I was hoping that other gentleman would stay on there from Limerick, who's a, a, an advocate for the for the asylum seekers, and I wanted to ask him a question, but he's gone now. Okay, what was the question? I wanted to ask him a question. Was he aware that a young woman was murdered in Limerick in the last few weeks by an asylum seeker from Afghanistan, and that she only encountered her for a few minutes, and now three children are without their mother? I was going to ask him that question, but he's, he's gone now, so you can't ask him that question. Okay. Also... As you know, uh, security is my main concern, uh, Mick, that these people are not being vetted properly. I have no problem with decent people coming in trying to make a new life for themselves. Uh, we had a lady there in Fermoy, you might have read it uh, recently. She was sexually assaulted in Fermoy. She was a walking her dog by a gentleman from Moldova who had already served a term in Moldova for rape himself. That worries me, Mick, you know. It really does. When we, we, we have to protect our own... Uh, women especially, you know, that, that, that's, that's, so if they're coming without documents and they have no passports, you have to ask the question, why are they hiding? What are they hiding? So, uh, as I said, um, most of your contributors there this morning are angry and they have good reason to be angry. And they're also, of course, they're not allowed to speak. They're labelled immediately as uh, far right if they have an opinion. Okay, the, 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 the Limerick situation, uh, I believe from reports in the newspapers, uh, with the Afghan refugee was accused of stabbing a woman to death. Uh, but that was during a sexual exchange in Limerick. Uh, and uh, that obviously went wrong. 
our, our body was... It was only there for a minute and a half, Mick, you know. <laughs> so... Well, that, mo- I mean, mobile phone examinations conducted by Gardaí show Miss uh, Ibram and Shamel having a conversation to arrange a sexual exchange on Tuesday at around lunchtime, and that's in the, in, in the printed press. Um, yeah. So... Anyway, well, let, let's continue well, with I your mean, point. The, 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 whether she was a sexual worker has nothing to do with anything. Like, you know, the woman entitled to be safe. She's the mother of three children. You know, so uh, and he ran off to Northern Ireland. Of course, now he's going to be tried in Northern Ireland. I think we have an arrangement here. Even if the, he goes into Northern Ireland, he's going to be tried in Northern Ireland. So uh, also, of course, the lady down in Fermoy didn't deserve that to happen to her. You know, by a person who was already accused of rape in Moldova. So that's what worries me. And then I'm hearing this lady there said this, there's a fellow in the camp in, in, in Dublin is a terrorist. You know, so, uh, so that, that worries me when I hear that for our own women, our own young girls. Also, uh, Connie there mentioned that she was looking at Katie Hannon last night and there was a young gentleman from Brazil. He was about 19 or 20. And he, he's here as an asylum seeker. And he was quite open and honest when Katie Hannon asked him, why are you here? She said, he said, I want to see what Ireland was like. More of a holiday maker than... Uh... Yeah, and he said, like, I'm not happy with the new regime in, in Brazil. Now, there's a new left re- regime in Brazil who the young people voted in, Mick, because they didn't want Bolsonaro. And he said, I'm here to make friends, and, you know, which is what uh, is okay, but he's not an asylum seeker. He's an economic migrant, and he should go look for a visa. And a, a percentage, obviously, of those people who are asylum seekers are the same as that young Brazilian lad. They're here for a bit of adventure. There seems to be things to be got here, so why wouldn't they come? Yeah, maybe on the, the uh, layer of the you know national TV spotlight, he was kind of taken out of context. I don't know. I didn't see the actual one I heard. No, about he's it. quite relaxed. Well, what, he was honest. He's, 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 he was honest. He's not, he said he wanted to make yeah. new friends. He heard about Ireland and he came. But there's no war in Brazil, uh, Mick. Yeah, well, Brazil is a very powerful economy. He's not exactly it's a much bigger economy than ours. You know, so. Yeah. Uh, so I can understand why people are angry. I can understand, and especially people who are working there, the ones who are really getting squeezed in this country, they get nothing, nothing at all back, paying high rents. Oops. Don't know what happened there. We'll see if we can get, uh, see if we can get James back. It just seemed to die there. Uh, okay, I'll leave it back to you guys, and if we can get him, uh, go to some texts in the meantime. Yeah, yeah, okay. Uh, okay, on Steve, because uh, James did mention uh, Steve there. That guy, Steve, is the best caller you've had in a long time. Well done to him. Every single thing he said uh, was not just true, but factual. Uh, somebody else said, somebody give this lad a Valium. Uh, if he wasn't shouting and roaring, he'd actually be making some valid points. As for the army on the streets, it's never going to happen, says Mags. Well said to that caller, Steve. Well said, Steve, you're dead right. This government needs to go. Hello, Stephen is brilliant and well done, Mick. Uh, he's bringing it all to the table. Uh, hate to say it, but that guy Steve is to, uh, what he's talking about is bang on about everything. Fair play to that man. I agree 100%. Absolutely sick of being labelled far right in this country for having concerns. The Irish are being pushed too far. There will be war. And there's so many more texts on Stephen. That guy's talking so much sense, Mick. He's so fed up with everything and I don't blame him one bit. It's so hard for the young people. Something has to be done. Uh, you must be making 100,000 to get a mortgage now says Marie from Clan. That caller's 100% right. Uh, and it was Michal Martin that said, all, all welcome and we will house you. Or was that Roderick O'Gorman? I'm not sure. Uh, utter nonsense from your last caller, just ranting to try to drive his views down people's throats. And of course, uh, if you don't believe him, you're being brainwashed by RTE. Yet these are the exact 
same people being brainwashed by social media. Thanks, Mick. Uh, that is from somebody called Stephen, coincidentally. Uh, that guy is 100% correct. Fair play to him, said Lenny. Mick, it's about time uh, people held a general strike. No more TDs. Uh, no junior ministers, says Frick. Uh, hi, Mick. Can I just point out the French army has a security presence in Paris and other large cities, as well as the airports. This over-the-top reaction from certain callers is not understandable. Even if things are very badly done by the government, they need to get out of their racist, bigoted, uh, psychotic walls and spend time with normal, reasonable people. It makes me ashamed to be Irish if this is the majority of Ireland. Uh, Love the show, lads, and mind yourselves. Totally agree with John. He always speaks a lot of common sense. Uh, which sadly this government doesn't have, says Ger. Uh, more lies from the caller, Yvonne Sharon. Uh, there is no iPhone 9. Good morning, Mick. Just a question on these people causing trouble. Uh, in America, if you're arrested, you need to put up a bond. As far as I'm aware, the bondsman gets a percentage of whatever money they bond you out on. Plus, the court takes money from the bond that you end up paying for it yourself. As long as free legal aid is here in Ireland, crime will never go down. Surely there's a better way of getting justice without someone uh, with maybe a hundred charges against them who still get free legal aid. Uh, uh, James is back on line one. Don't, uh, don't know what happened there, James. No, there's no problem, Mick. So I was nearly finished with you anyway. Oh, no, I, 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 lest people think I cut you off, which I didn't. No, no, no. No, in fairness to Red FM, um, I, I, w- I would uh, say that uh, Red FM gives everyone a fair shake. Uh, you know, people who have different views. Uh, no one is silenced, thank God. Uh, and uh, every time I came on to talk about things, I was uh, given a fair hearing. And I think most people got a fair hearing this morning. Yeah, when, so, when it's a one-on-one conversation, James, it, it, you know, it, it behoves us to be the devil's advocate, if you like. If, if you're going to oh, come yes, on with far-right yes, views, yes. I've got to present the left. If you're coming on from the left, I've got to present more more of the, more of the views of the right. If, if you, if yes, you know and I mean. as I said to Neil before, you're, you have the broadcasting authority, you know, you have, you have to uh, uh, take them into account as well. They're watching what's going on. So you, you would be in trouble if you didn't, Mick. So, uh, but as I said... Uh, the one thing I would I do find annoying, Mick, is that everyone that has an opinion that is not the left liberal cancel culture uh, PC opinion is uh, not allowed to have that opinion. They're labelled immediately as uh, if you have a problem with transgenders or anything, you're a homophobe. If you have a problem with open borders, you're a racist. So they don't like any alternative view, you know? Mm. People like Mick Barry does not want to another view other than his which is not, that's not a democracy, Mick. You know, everybody, I'm, I consider myself a right-wing conservative, which is a quite legitimate position to hold in any democracy. Okay, um, for, for those who are still not nuanced in the, in the left versus the right, how would you describe right-wing conservatism? Myself, Mick. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a right-wing conservative Catholic, and uh, we I, actually, I have no problem in people having an alternative view to me. I'm not going to, I don't want to silence anybody. If someone comes on to me, about, and I've been on to, to you before, and Neil, about the Catholic Church and defending the Catholic Church, I have no problem people coming on uh, attacking the Catholic Church and attacking me because they're entitled to their view. But the, those on the left, liberal, they don't want anyone to have an alternative view. You know, they want to... I, I've seen them on RT television, and they say even... People with a right-wing view mustn't get a platform. They don't even say far right. Yeah. People like Paul, Paul Murphy and all those and Mick Barry, they say that they say people with a right-wing view mustn't get a platform. They're not even talking about far right, you know. Just just being on the right. All right, I want to move on, James. Thanks very Thanks, much. Thanks, Mick. Thanks very much. Thank you very much. Dave, Dave is on line four, finally. Hi, Dave. Hi, how are you doing? Uh, good, and yourself? 
Yeah, not too bad. A uh, little bit frustrated listening to the, the show this morning, just with uh, everyone arguing and fighting amongst themselves, just the way the government wants it. It's kind of a divide and conquer ethos, That's it, exactly. It? That's exactly it. So you would say the government are getting exactly what they want here, but why, why would they want to be dividing us and in what way would they want to conquer us? Well, it's maybe not so much conquer, but just control. Uh, it's, a, it's a division issue. They, they want us arguing amongst ourselves and then uh, no one's, no one's hassling them. I mean, we have, we have TDs in this country. Look, uh, Holly Cairns, a young politician coming up from West Cork, getting a lot of good press at the moment, Michal Martin has been a TD for the whole time she's been born, or for the whole time she's been alive. He was a TD before she was born. So, I mean, we're talking about legacy issues, housing, uh, hospitals, all these things that, that has, there's been no investment in. Yet we bought traffic lights that we didn't need, voting machines we didn't need because we had to spend budgets from the EU back in the 90s. It's an absolute disgrace. So the government are getting exactly what they want. Uh, do, do, I, I think so, yeah. Do you think it's finally sitting with them that uh, things are getting a little bit out of control here in regards containing the level and the amount of problems that present now in Irish society? No, I think it's becoming an issue that, that they think that something's going to happen. That's why they're bringing up you can't go and protest at their houses, uh, the new hate speech laws, those sorts of things. Uh, look, I'm not, I'm not up for, for going and protesting at somebody's house, except that we have the honour system here where if you do something wrong, you're meant to take your licks and, 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 and leave. And, and our politicians don't do that anymore. And then the whole point back in the 90s, when I was a, a teenager, was, was if you had a problem with your TD, at least you could call around to them and have a chat. Mm-hmm. Now, now, you can't because, oh, sure, you're just coming and protesting. So again, they, they don't want any difference in what they're saying. Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael, they're the, they're the two sides of the same coin, Mark. And with the, impen- saying, with the impending hate speech laws, are things going to get worse? Possibly, possibly. Look, I mean, again, I'm not against having, uh, protecting minorities. I have absolutely no problem with that. But then if you're protecting the minority, that also has to protect the majority as well. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, yeah, I, I, look, I just don't see it as being a good place at the moment. And again, like I said about Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael being the same, uh, the two sides of the same coin, I don't see Sinn Féin being much better, really, to be honest with you. I don't think any of them have... Because again, they're all working for corporate interests, making sure that we have business coming into Ireland and keeping us in jobs and then, sure, it's okay, Apple don't pay their tax, sure, they pay the TRSI tax, so that's enough. That's, that's the too. attitude that they have. Yeah. Alright Dave, got to move on, thank, thank you very much. High make it's a tactic since the dawn of time, divide and conquer the people, deflect what's really happening, this government are responsible for all that is wrong in this country, that seems to be the central tenet of most of the text today. Uh, Stephen, good morning to you sir. Hello Stephen. Hello, good morning. Morning. Good morning. Uh, I think there's four very important points about what's also happening over the weekend, which I think hasn't been brought up yet, and I think they need to be, okay? Okay. All right. Now, point number one would be, I think it's totally very unsavoury to be setting up something that resembles a shanty town from a third world country in the middle of a capital city in our country. That's my first point, okay? We've had homeless encampments here before. And what happened? Well, I think a little more charity. They were were Irish homeless, I think, and uh, I think maybe a little more charity was displayed, but carry on. Right. My second point would be, 
over the past 12 months, we have been able to accommodate 84,000 migrants. Near, nearly, yes, nearly but not, not quite, but yes, I take your point. Okay, right, 84,000 migrants. But it has been impossible to accommodate 12,000 Irish homeless. That, that's another point that really needs to be looked at. My third point, third point would be, out of all of those tents that have been, you know, pitched there around the IP offices in Dublin, okay, as we see all of that now, don't we? Right. Now, over the last couple of weeks, we have seen Dublin City Council come out in force with their little truck, especially in the Phoenix, Phoenix Park and the build-up to the Biden visit, and Dublin City Council removed all those tents. What? Why are Dublin City Council so slow in coming to remove these from a city centre location outside the IP offices, they're not doing that. So there's a bit of bias going okay. on there. Stephen, I have to leave you. you, know? you you've, you've made your points, but I need to move on to something else and time is against me. But thank you very much for coming I'm on the sorry, program. I'm sorry, could I ask you one more question? Very quickly, ask you please. one more question? Yeah. Okay, can you please define far, far right for me? Far far right. Um, okay, in, in, my, in, in my own interpretation? Probably, probably take... Uh, pro- yes, please. Probably, yes, take, please. probably take a bit longer than we've got. Um, but I would imagine that the far right would be... Um, uh, see, it's going to be very hard to do this with, without offending people. Persons or groups who hold sometimes uh, nationalist or extreme nationalist, sometimes xenophobic, sometimes racist, sometimes religious fundamentalists, uh, and, or other reactionary views. That's not the right now. That's the far right, and that would be my interpretation of that. I have to go, but thank you very much. The Neil Brenderville Show on Cork's Red FM. Our phone lines remain open after midday, 0818-104-106. Good morning from the Neil Prendeville Show on this Tuesday morning. This is Mick Mulcahy and I'm joined bright-eyed and bushy-tailed very early in the morning from New York City by Sean Cooney. Good morning, Sean. Good morning, Mick. Thank you. Okay, thanks for getting up so early and for detailing this wonderful story to us. You are a successful playwright. You're about 50 years, are you, the US of A? I'm more than that. I'm I'm an old-timer that found my way late in life. uh, Arthur Miller used to say to me, the playwright, send these plays out, Sean, before I die or before you die. And so I sent them out even after he died and I went to his funeral. But I got these plays out and I sent them, if you like, some of them to the wrong place, like Dublin, Ohio instead of Dublin, Ireland. Let's get into that now. But first of all, you came from Yall, the famous Cooney's Pub in Yall. That's right. That's right. Cooney's Pub, North Main Street, Yall. And we opened a bunch of pubs in New York, my family here. And did pretty well also. And did quite well. One of them had a theatre above it where the McCourts of, uh, did their Angela's Ashes. And, and, a few, and Brian Denny he was, our, was our bartender, the actor. All right. So any Irish playwright, especially, or even one from Cork, would... Uh, have a dream, maybe, of having their work performed on stage at the prestigious Abbey Theatre in Dublin. A dream come true if it happened. And it happened to you, but it was a bit, a bit of a hiccup and a bit of a hilarious one. You, you, you rode to the Abbey Theatre, you got a yes, but it wasn't the Abbey in Dublin. In Ireland, it That's was right. the Abbey in Dublin, Ohio. That's right. 
that, and what a beautiful Dublin town it is, and and it's a very fancy suburb of of Columbus, Ohio, and all the pol- politicians out there, a lot of of Irish extraction, and then they told me out there that there's 22 Dublins in America. And I said, Jesus, which one? Did...? And then the guy was so nice. He was Egyptian and a, a American Indian background. The director and person who runs the theater, his wife was probably Irish, but he was totally uh, aware of. Sab- Samuel Beckett and Sean O'Casey. He knew the Irish theatre better than I did in a lot of ways, for God's sake, you know? Well, it was an Irish man that actually named it, and, and I, I have his, uh, his naming speech here. If I have the honour conferred upon me to name your village with the brightness of the morn and the beaming of the sun on the hills and dales surrounding this beautiful valley, it would be, give me great pleasure to name your new town after my birthplace, Dublin, Ireland. I know there's a Dublin, California. I know there's a Dublin, Georgia. I know there's a Dublin, Kentucky. Uh, There's a very famous Dublin in Texas. Uh, There's a Dublin in Michigan. Uh, But you kind of half twigged this when the guy who was responding to you to say yes from the Abbey Theatre didn't have a kind of an Irish-sounding name. Thank you so much for that information, Mick. I, I, I'd love you'd send me that on an email. That's interesting. I, I, I should tell them that when I get back to Dublin, Ohio. And here's the laugh of it all. I, he said to me, have you any other plays? And I said, geez, I said, I have a bunch of them. They're all in the closet. Um, I have an assistant here. We'll pull them all out. I said, he said, please send them all. And I sent all my plays. And then he wrote back to me and called me. He says, Sean, do you want to come out here? We need to talk to you. He says, we're going to do all of your plays. And, and, and at that same time, simultaneously to that, uh, in New Bedford, Massachusetts, where Moby Dick, uh, the movie that ended up in Yall, uh, originally the story came from the great author, uh, I, I ended up hearing from them, and they wanted to do a co-production with him on this Moby Dick. I wrote a play called Moby Dick's Gone Missing, and, uh, and the play is a beautiful comedy. And uh, for all the family, and and he he said, look, Sean, we're doing that in the fall, and I want, when you come out here for the opening of your other play, which is about a 9/11 cop, it's, it's called The Yankee Goes Home. It's about a 9/11 Irish cop that I knew about here in New York that went through awful trauma, and and I connected it with sports and everything and baseball, and people loved it. And uh, as you know, Christy Ring was supposed to have gone to the baseball stadium, Yankee Stadium, years ago, who, who I met in Yall with my cousin Christy Cooney's father, uh, Christy Ring, years ago. Well, Christy Cooney was the head of the GA, wasn't he? Is he related to you? Was that, yeah, Christy, yeah, Christy would be, uh, he was the, he, he's often, I was talking to him on the phone recently, he's recovering from something, and uh, he came out here a couple of times to us, yes, and I, I, I was at his daughter's wedding some time back in, in but, our... But the good yeah. news, the good news, Sean, is despite the miscalculation, uh, despite the email going to the wrong place, the Abbey Theatre in Dublin, Ohio, ran your play, uh, and it's recently finished, so it ran there for nine nights... And was successful, right. and we will yes. bring we will bring the story full circle because you're you're now going to be uh, a playwright of the Abbey in, in Dublin, Ireland, as well. Yeah, they're negotiating. I think or talking somewhat. Somebody told me. Okay. Yeah. So a Yankee goes home has been successful in America about a, a retired U.S. Um, cop, post traumatic stress disorder since nine eleven. He's struggling to communicate with the outside world and his family, but through his love of the Yankees baseball team. 
and George, who's a familiar figure to the guardian angel in It's a Wonderful Life. Wounds heal, a family is reborn. You got your play, and you must be now a favourite son of Dublin, Ohio, are you? I am, I am actually, and uh, they're, 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 the ancient order of the Hibernians are out there and everything, and they're making me the honorary member and all that kind of stuff. So it's kind of funny. If you come out here, Mick, I'll take you guys out there. You'll see the celebration and the wonderful... Uh, kind of Irishness of them out there. They have a big festival going on this year. And uh, and, and now with the Yankees going home, and then now with the Moby Dick, the, the, the nice thing that happened here is the Moby Dick people now ask me if I had a screenplay written for a movie. So there may be a return one day to y'all to get the movie done again, but in a comedic way, not in the high drama that it was with John Huston. I, I, of course, I met John Huston's daughter through Jack Nicholson. I became friends with, with uh, that family. Uh, but here's the thing. The great thing about that play is it's, 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 I told the story in a kind of a fun way and makes it more engaging about the whale going missing. I won't tell you too much on this call, but you'll, you'll hear more eventually about the plot and everything. So that's going up. And I was there for the auditions, and the actors they picked were terrific Irish-American types and people playing Gregory Peck and playing John Huston in the movie, and Queequeg was the famous uh, gentleman in the movie also. So I all the characters auditioned with the director, Joe Bashira. And then next year, I have another couple of plays opening, and one of them is called <clears throat> Van Gogh is in the Attic. Van Gogh <laughs> is in the Attic. That's coming up next year. Let, let me come That's back to... about you all also. Let me Go come ahead. back to Moby Dick's Gone Missing, because sorry, uh, sorry. after all of the, the hiccups and, and the road bumps, as it were, with the, with the first play, Moby Dick's Gone Missing is now going to feature in the Abbey Theatre Dublin. That, that the director out there will will definitely be communicating with the and the everyman we're talking about in Cork. We're going to try make a move with them also, uh, and 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 maybe there's some place in England that they're talking about. I think I think it's the old what's the name of the old Vic or something. The old Vic. The, yeah, How bad they talked about. Yeah. So you you've you've met some stars in America. You said you you, you met somebody through Jack Nicholson. Yeah. Jack Nicholson bought the rights of a story of mine many, many years ago. See, in our theatre above our bar, uh, I would meet a lot of theatrical people. And But Jack had come into New York just after the Jimmy Carter uh, 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 inauguration. I, I went to see him at the hotel, and, and Angelica Houston was dating him. And she comes out of the bedroom, and she let me know that she was went to school in Ireland and, and, and lived in the west of Ireland and that her father made Moby Dick and y'all. And, and Jack was great fun. He was in his pajamas uh, having his um, Heineken for breakfast uh, with eggs and, and, and some, well, well, I won't say what else, but he was smoking something anyhow. But uh, having that said, he was wonderful and uh, we, we, we talked about uh, a script of mine and he bought the rights of it back then, but I never kind of pushed myself in the business. I kind of left it, left it lie there. I just went back to the, the old family business, which was the restaurants and the bars, you know what I'm saying? Well, you're peaking late in life. You're 73, is that right? That's correct. Okay, well, there's still a lot of, still a lot of runway left, as they say. Do, do you hope yes, that other ones you. will be picked up? Rights might be bought, options taken? Yeah. In fact, here's the good news. I, I, they're all bought and they're all kind of, if you like, uh, 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 u
they're all picked up already to be slated for next year as well. And one of the plays, plays is another play that's called The Pub's Got No Beer is up there. And another one after that is called Hashtag Spare Parts, which is a more modern story. And uh, that's, uh, that was good too. Uh, but the thing is, they're, they're picked up. And I, I kept, people kept asking me, do you have a screenplay to go with these, Sean? I said, yeah, I've, I've written screenplays on some of them. I said, and um, so can you present them to us in case we want to go further with them? And I said, yeah, I can do that. So it's kind of funny in a way, like, that I came to this late in life and now people seem to want what I'm doing. Yeah, because the, the, the <laughs> screenplay is your, that, that's your leverage in, into the world of movies and that's where the big money will be and the big successes. Yeah, I've, and I've, that will I've propel more plays. I, listen, as one of the guys said to me out in Ohio, how much do you want for one of these? And I said, no, I don't, I have money. I said, I've made money. I've made a living, a good living. I said, hard, uh, hard as it was. But I said, I, it's not about the money. I said, I want to get them put on, sir. I said. Can, can, I can you tell me as selectively as you wish, Sean? I'm not here forever on this planet. Yeah, can you tell me as selectively as you wish the story of you coming back home to buy the Devonshire. Was that a pub or a hotel in York? Oh, oh yeah, that story, yes. Uh, that was the old Devonshire Arms Hotel. My brother, Morris Cooney, who's now passed to staff at the theatre, Brian Dennehy's buddy, uh, uh, he said there's a bank strike in Yall at the, in Ireland at the time, back in the 70s, remember that? Well, you might be too young, Mick. But there was a bank strike, and guess what? We went back, and we had the money in our pockets. We got through Shannon. And uh, we paid for the hotel in cash. And the woman in the hotel didn't know what to say, but she took it and put it in the safe. And uh, uh, the woman in Yall that bought, uh, we bought the hotel from. And then we brought the deeds of the hotel from the lawyer uh, in Yall up to my father, who was near, near the end of his life, as he had worked in that hotel one time and worked hard there. And uh, it was great to give him the hotel deeds before he passed, you know? There's a story in that. There's a story in everything to do with your life, yes, I think. Yes, there is. And you're, oh, Christ, man, you make you great. That's what a guy said to me here in New York, a Jewish friend of mine. He says, Sean, you walk into stories. You seem to walk into stories. I know, I said. You'd be surprised when I start, start telling you about uh, Donald Trump and stuff like that later. You know, because in the restaurant business, you meet everybody in New York, you know? Mo- Mo- Moby yes. Dick's gone missing, coming to the Abbey, hopefully coming to the Everyman uh, later this year. Congratulations yes. on the one that you got by mistake, but still they accepted yes. it, and it's going to be an ever-extending invitation to uh, present all of your plays in Dublin, Ohio. Yes. Um, so fantastic and and well done and thanks for taking our call so early in the no, morning. Thank you. Listen, in, in the Mike, big I, I'm red. I'm serious about this con- connection. I've been out of touch and everything. But the the the, the Yankee a Yankee goes home is going to be done in New York too. Fantastic. I, I I think we're picking you up on the start, albeit a bit late, of what's going to be a huge playwright career for you, if not screenplay oh movies God. as well. I thank you for the. Listen, it's great to hear it that way because the, the, if when you go back to the school days in Yall, they kind of made, didn't make you too uh, confident in where you were going to go with your life. You know what I'm saying? Keep in contact. Keep and in if contact. I can do anything for you or any of your friends, let me know. I'm 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 the secret ambassador to New York. Okay, Aaron Gabral, thank you very much, Sean Cooney. God bless you. Thank, thank you and thank good you morning. Very very much to all of you guys in Cork and Yall and everywhere. Thanks. Bye bye. For more Red FM podcasts, go to Red FM dot ie forward slash podcasts.